Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. This is going to be a phenomenal episode with Denny Gulvis. And Denny is widely known as one of the best turkey callers and turkey hunters in the United States. Uh, He's been doing this a long time and has an unbelievable amount of knowledge about calling and hunting turkeys. So I want to thank uh, Turkey Callers of America, the Facebook group. There's, I believe, 12,000 members now strong. And uh, Scott Ellis, who's in charge of the page, uh, gave me permission to uh, post some of these Facebook uh, interviews or Facebook Live uh, episodes. And so this is a good chance to listen to Denny talk about calling and hunting turkeys, as well as a bunch of questions on Facebook Live that he's going to answer. And uh, it's just an unbelievable opportunity if you're a turkey hunter. Guys, I want to thank you for supporting my podcast. I want to ask you if you haven't uh, and you enjoy the podcast or if you don't enjoy the podcast um, to go on iTunes and to leave me a review. Uh, Good, bad, or ugly, leave me a review on iTunes. That helps my placement there and I appreciate all the support that you guys give me. I also want to thank the sponsors of this podcast and you can go to the show notes and uh, see more about these companies. But you've got GoHunt.com Insider, uh, Lorenzo Sartini and his crew. They have a Western hunting resource that allows you to uh, search out all the units uh, in all the states and find the best draws, best harvest statistics. Uh, You can dig into the details of all the different units of big game hunts. And you can use the J. Scott promo code to get a $50 Kuyu gift card when you sign up. I also want to thank Kuyu.com, Jason Harrison and his crew out in Dixon, California. Uh, they have been a supporter of mine for a long time. But Jason uh, agreed to and stepped up to sponsor my podcast. And I'm excited to have them on board, Kuyu.com. They make the best ultralight hunting gear. It's It's the gear that Dara and I use and have used since uh, around 2010. Check them out at kuyu.com, also phonescope.com. They make the best digiscoping adapters where you can adapt any phone to any optic, meaning any spotting scope or or binocular. If you use the JSCOT16 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount there at phonescope.com. And Cody Nelson and his crew at the Outdoorsman's, uh, outdoorsmans.com, 1-800-291-8065. You get a 10% discount when you mention the J. Scott promo code there. Uh, You can also go in in the shop in person and get the discount. So, uh, guys, if you have any questions or comments uh, about the podcast or things you want to hear or, you know, things you want to know or or what have you, you can email me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. Let's get right to this episode with Denny Golvis. Connection here. Someone will uh, maybe give me a thumbs up, make sure that uh, I'm live, and we'll get started. Kind of listening to uh, probably my favorite subject for sure. That's turkeys. Okay, first of all, I hope I'm connected. I think I am. 
it's really, really a pleasure uh, and an honor for me to be invited on this uh, on this program. Uh, it's amazing to give the to get the opportunity to do this, uh, and I especially thank Scott Ellis uh, for arranging this. I've had the opportunity to go back and uh, watch some of the ones or uh, watch some of the ones live over, and that was su it's such a great arrangement, such a good idea for Scott for us to kind of like to get together. Uh, get more personal on the turkey caller I'm honored absolutely honored to be asked to uh, for this information or uh, to share some of my views over the years of working with wild turkeys on the language and the, on the hunting end and on the filming end so if any of you uh, you start sh shooting some questions at me I'll be glad to answer them as much as possible one of the things that kind of kind of caution you about a little bit is I get I have a tendency to get a little bit long-winded when I'm talking about turkeys and uh, this is kind of like even when Scott first asked me if I would do this it's going to be a little. I thought it was going to be a little different for me because uh, I get long-winded. Uh, it's hard for me to answer a question in one sentence. Uh, so if I do get carried away so much and I don't answer your question, you might want to bring it up again. And but maybe as I get on and I carry on somewhat tangent on some answering one or so questions, I might be able to answer another question as I as I branch off through. So uh, hopefully everybody can hear me. Tonight's program is going to be a little bit different uh, than some of the other ones. Uh, I really don't intend to do a lot of calling. Uh, basically, for one reason, I hate that phone. I, I hate it uh, in that I don't always hear the accurate recordings and actual voices uh, that you're that you're. I've practiced and tried to practice in that before, and I'm sure many of you probably seen that before. Uh, the small microphone in that camera or in that phone really doesn't. It really doesn't carry the tones, all the tones from the highs and lows accurately. So that really is kind of like handcuffing yourself. So unless you really insist. Uh, I don't really want to do a lot of calling, but uh, I possibly will. What I'm going to do, though, being that I'm so obsessed with listening to wild turkeys, I've got about 10 or 12, at least 10 or 12 different segments of actual wild turkeys I've got queued up and ready to go. And hopefully they can maybe answer some of your questions through this. I've got some tree calls, fly-down cackles, excited hen yelps, whatever it might be, gobbler yelps, uh, agitated purrs, uh, that way we can go through and actually see and hear, or hear it being done by the birds themselves. I'm a stickler for that. I've always said that even if you've seen my videos before. There's nothing, absolutely nothing, like learning from the birds themselves. I mean, they are the best teachers in the world. And amazingly, over the years of actually listening to wild turkeys, and I've said this before actually when I was down the last time I was at the National Convention talking to many of the callers down there, uh, one of the things I said that you really, really, to really, to keep the edge, you have to listen to turkeys almost every day if you're really, really serious about it. Now, I'm obsessed with their voices. I've always been obsessed with their voices. I've been studying them for 48 years, and they've amazed me, and they amaze me more and more every day. Every time I hear a hen, I want to hear what she does. If I get a lot of guys calling, sending me different segments. I've recorded so many different segments over the years, and... I just really, really love to hear the hens. There's so much to learn from every single hen. If a hen burps, I want to hear it. Okay, I'm going to answer a couple questions if I can. Uh, let's see, we got one here from John Danes. Hi, Denny. Can you give me the coordinates to your favorite spots? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've got a lot of spots, Jay, uh, John. Most of my filming uh, is done here in Pennsylvania. I cover six or seven different counties. And you'll notice I say filming. Uh, I don't hunt with a shotgun anymore, and there's a story behind that, and I have absolutely nothing against it. My boys, my wife, we all hunt, you know, they all hunted with a shotgun, but there's kind of a funny story behind it. You know, years ago when I first intended to make some video productions, or I thought about it, I was hunting back in the early 80s, I hunted just like everybody else with a shotgun, and I was fairly successful with it at times, but usually when I shot the gobbler at that time, Pennsylvania had one limit, 
You know, when I shot a gobber, I just wasn't satisfied. I just needed more to get out there. Sure, I could have went out and I started with a camera. I had a still photography at the time, and I told my wife I would love to be able to get uh, a video uh, so I could study the birds more. So I went out and was able to purchase a, a good video camera. And uh, But it was completely a different story. Uh, when I started working with a camera, it's an altogether different thing because when I was hunting with a shotgun, I would call the gobblers and they get in within 30 to 35 yards away and the shot was taken. But I had a hard time when I went out there after I got the gobbler and I started with that camera. What happened is I had a tough, tough time when the gobblers were 30 and 25 yards. I was never used to that. I was never used to try to get them closer. So I was really day after day, experience after experience. I'd had the gobblers come to a certain point and uh, even the hens and I had a lot of time, trouble getting them to come closer to me. And I remember coming home one day, I was frustrated about it, and I asked my wife, or I talked to my wife, and I said, boy, if there was only some way, and I've told this story to many people, if there was only some way I could express to those turkeys that I'll never hurt them again, if they'll just let me take their picture. And amazingly, absolutely amazingly, within the next three months after saying that, it was like somebody turned a light switch. I was actually going out and having gobblers coming in, coming in closer and closer, and from that day, almost 33, 34 years ago, I've never carried a shotgun. I made a pack with the turkeys that time, and I've never broken that pack. One time, if you've seen Challenging Pressure Gobblers, I wanted to do it with a video. I mean, with a bow. And I was able to kill one gobbler with a bow, and that satisfied me. But since the time, 34 years ago, I've elected to use the camera, and that camera has been my friend. Now, that's not for everybody, but for me, it's been a learning tool. It's so different when you're with a camera, videoing, because when you're under that intense pressure of actually trying to get a shot at a gobbler coming in, there's a lot of things that get by you that you don't really see, a lot of things you don't hear with the hens, the gobblers, there's a lot of things, but the unique thing about working with a video is that I can go back and review the footage and see things and hear things that I never ever heard before, and that is a huge, huge, big thing. So tonight, if I can, I'd like to first concentrate a little bit on turkey calling, on their language, the bird's language, turkey calling contest. We can touch on some of the contests. I'll give you some ideas that I have, some of the things that I've got in mental imagery and so, and so forth that I think that will help some of the younger callers, some of them, even, even some of the experienced callers. But one thing is I, before I even start answering the questions, everything I tell you tonight is going to be my opinion. There's no facts at all. All this is just my opinion from things that I've learned over the years. When you're dealing with a wild turkey, they have a tendency to humble you. One thing about the wild turkey, and I'm not telling any one of you anything, they are so unpredictable. No one will ever, ever know everything there is about the wild turkey, and hunting the wild turkey, calling the turkey, whatever it might be. And that's the, so much of the great draw of this sport. That's what keeps us going day after day. Because the turkeys themselves, I'm convinced that they don't know what they're going to do the next five minutes. And that's what keeps it so much fun. So... Everything you hear, everything I say, it's just my opinion. You could take it for what it's worth, but I'm going to share with you some of the ideas I have on calling, on the language, and also on hunting the birds. Okay, let's see what we got. I'll go back. Like I said, if some of, as you can see, some of those questions, if you're watching on the computer or however you're watching, those questions are kind of keep coming and going. I'm only seeing four or five at a time. If I don't happen to answer them, if you want to go back and answer or ask me, I'll, I'll try to answer them. Chris, how you doing, Chris? Mike Weibel. Hi, Denny. As the turkey numbers continue to decline across the area, you're finding it easier or more difficult to call on the gobblers you locate. That's a good question, Mike. Excellent good question. There's a number of factors involved in that, Mike. Uh, we've seen a change. I've seen a change in 30, 35, 40 years. I've seen a change in the turkeys on how they respond. It depends on where you're hunting, too. It depends on the area you're in. But 
one of the main things I've seen, especially here in Pennsylvania, and I know this is characteristic to a lot of different states, is the predator population. The predator population has exploded here in Pennsylvania. And those turkeys, they know that when they open their voice, they open their mouth to say anything, they're attracting predators, natural predators. And that's huge for them. So naturally, I've seen a decline in how some of the turkeys are talking. You know, they don't talk nowhere near as much as they used to. And it's not so much for hunting pressure. It's from those natural predators that are out there that they deal with from the time they're first hatched in an egg until the time they go back in the earth again when they're, pat when they're dead. That's amazing that from every single second that a turkey, from the time he's hatched until he's dead, there's always something after him. And his voice, he learned or she learns, can get him in trouble. And that's huge. But there's been changes off and on. It depends. We just have to learn to deal with them. But one of the main things I've seen, absolutely one of the main things I've seen, is the predator population has exploded. And that's having a definite effect on how turkeys are responding to calls or how they're acting to our techniques and such. Good question, Mike. Steve, how you doing? Danny, you're a true legend and a friend. I don't know about that. My question, will you ever travel to Iowa or Missouri uh, to share a tree with me? <laughs> Steve, I get a lot, of, a lot of requests every year. A lot of requests. I've had requests. I've, I've been to a few states. I've been to Tennessee, Virginia. I filmed in a few of those states back. I used to hunt in a couple of those states also. But I kind of try to, I try to concentrate most of my time right now in Pennsylvania. I have so many places to check. And one of the things I really concentrate on now is learning about the hens. I just love filming hens. Uh, maybe some of you already know I've been working on an audio CD. I kind of put it on hold. I've been working on this for about 17 years now. I've been climbing under the roost early in the morning. It's a passion for me to climb under the roost early in the morning and hear the birds when they first awake. That's social talk that the birds do. To me, personally, that social talk is some of the most important talk that a turkey does. Because basically there's no pressure. There's no, they're not tensed up in any way. They're not lost. Many of the hunting situations, all those different stress factors are play in. But early in the morning when the birds first start waking up, that social talk, when one hen's talking to a gobbler or one hen or this hen's talking back and forth to each other, that social talk in that they're comfortable and they talk to each other. When I started doing this and I went back and looked and reviewed some of my footage, it's amazing, and some of the audio off of it, it's amazing on how much you can learn from that social talk. And, be, and then when you apply that to a hunting situation, it's incredibly important. So that's what I've been doing. Like I said, the audio CD that I was going to put out, I kind of put it on hold. And one of the reasons is, I had everything pretty much ready to go. And I was sitting at my desk one day making turkey calls, and I had a guy call me. It's an interesting story. I had a guy call me, and he said to me, he said, anything new? And I said, well, matter of fact, I'm working on, a, on an audio CD right now. He says, what's it on? I said, oh, it's going to be on audio. Uh, it's an audio on live turkeys. And there was a little bit of a break and a pause in the phone conversation, and he, and, uh, he said, why do you want to do that? And I said, well, for calling, I want people, you know, I want people to learn from the, the turkeys themselves. I've got a lot of nice stuff that I've recorded from the birds. They've been, I've been very fortunate to record them. And he says, don't you ever watch the Outdoor Channel, some of the programs we've got today? Listen to some of them guys. They're all sitting in a blind. They've got three or four decoys. I, you don't have to learn to call anymore. And you know, it was like him reaching through the phone and slapping me in the face, bringing me back to reality, because I thought that everyone, like myself, was really interested in calling. And over the years, I've been, in the last couple of years now, I've been seeing that really the interest in calling is not as much as it was before. Sure, you 50, 60, 70 guys out there that are in turkey calling contests, whatever it is, and I'm sure most of the guys on TCA are really interested in calling, but the general public out there, they're seeing it. Turkey hunting has changed a lot. We see a lot of different changes in the sport, and a lot of those changes aren't exactly for the best, I don't feel. So that's, that's the big thing. I mean... It's so interesting to learn from the birds, and I feel myself calling 
in the sport of turkey hunting is basically everything. There's nothing like actually being able to carry on a conversation with a wild turkey. That's really the draw of the whole sport. As I told you, I'm going to get carried away on some of these. Okay, Jesse Martin, hey bud. What are your thoughts on the scenario format for the finals at the Grand Nationals? Most callers hate the idea, but I love it. Jesse, it's fantastic. I think it's about time that we see the scenarios. For me personally, what it does, what we're going to see this year at the Grand Nationals, we're going to see, we're going to separate the callers, the mechanical callers, and we're going to separate the guys who really knows turkey voices and the turkey language and how to apply that language in real hunting situations. And that's so important. 40 years, back 30, 35 years ago when I was in turkey calling contest, I had a lot of different, there was a lot of different callers up there that basically became mechanical. And they did the same routine over and over and over again. And a lot of those guys really never spent a whole lot of time in the woods, and it was pretty apparent by listening to their calling. They got so unique, caught up in certain uh, uh, routines that they did every year over and over and over again. By coming through these scenarios, now it's gonna, we're going to find out who really knows what turkeys sound like, and it's going to cause people to spend a little bit more time listening to turkeys and how they apply their voices to one another and how they actually talk to one another, because that's what turkey calling really is. It's not going out there making a sound just to attract a turkey. Turkey calling, in its truest form, is an actual conversation from bird to bird, whatever it is, because when a turkey makes a noise, he don't make it for no, or she don't make it for no reason. They're actually saying something to one another, and that's hugely important if we can remember that. So those scenarios are going to absolutely be fantastic. And I, I, I really congratulate Chris Piltz for uh, com coming up with that and holding up to that. It's going to, sure, some of the guys that are used to those scenario, those same exact routines over and over are going to have to break that pattern, but they're going to have to, just like any other sport, the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. There's basketball players, football players, whatever it is, they've got to know everything about turkeys. And that's one thing about using doing these scenarios. You're going to have to learn every part of their language, all parts of their language. You know, you're considered professional when you're on that grand national stage, you're on the world championship stage. And as being a professional, you should know every single sound that a bird makes and how they apply those sounds in their calling in the woods. Matt Van Syce, Denny. Many of us have looked up to you and learned from you for, for years. In fact, you've probably had a greater impact on my calling than anyone else than on the wild turkey. Would you mind demonstrating for all of us listening how you would do some excited hen yelping? Oh, way to go, Matt. I just asked you to, about maybe not doing uh, some calling, but I'll just, I'll do a couple, Matt. I'll do a couple. But well, like I said, what you're going to hear coming through that phone is really, because what I do, I kind of call from, some of you that might know, I call from down deep in, and I try to tame, change, change the sounds, the pitches, and the voices, like tur trying to do it like turkeys, real turkeys do, because that's what they do. As they emphasize, they emphasize as they speak to one another. They absolutely are changing their voices through pitch and rhythm changes to get a certain thought or a point across. Maybe they're asking a question or whatever it is. But I'll just give you a couple, maybe just a just a short demonstration of a medium age hen. She'll start out a little bit lighter, and then maybe I'll just get a little bit more excited. But before I do the demonstration, this is something I want to touch on too. I found over the years to be a good caller or to be some of the best you can be, I like to use mental imagery. And this is so huge. If you watch my uh, Challenging Pressure Gobbers, I touched on it a little bit. Whenever I'm in the house calling, if I'm at the computer listening to turkeys trying to follow them along or calling or whatever it is, I try to actually become a turkey. Uh, I have pictures all around my room right in here while I'm watching right now. I have different pictures of different hens in different poses. And I actually try to imagine that turkey calling as I'm doing my, my routines. 
That is so important. This mental imagery, I can't tell you how important it is. And as we go along here tonight, I'm going to talk a little bit how important it is on the stage also from when you walk up. Because when that stage presence, that stage is really formed, a turkey calling. But I'll give you a couple, just a, maybe a, a short demonstration. I don't know how it's going to come across in this phone. Of kind of a medium-age hen getting starting out maybe a little bit, just walking through the woods and then maybe getting a, just a little bit more excited. And as, I, as she gets excited, you'll hear me kind of drop her voice drops like a real hen, or I'll try to do like a real hen. There's so many variations. You see me start to talk, touch a little bit with my hand. If you watch Challenging Pressure Progolvers, it's something I've done. I do it a lot. Biggest thing for me, it's again, it's mental imagery. I actually pretend that I'm actually seeing a hand do it. But lately, because I'm a filmmaker, I try to get away from my hand as much as possible because when I've got that big, heavy camera on my shoulder, it kind of limits me. And I've had a lot of problems when I'm actually talking to birds, be it hands or gobbers, and I get so used to working with my hand that I can't get back into that, that, that natural sounds and natural uh, rhythm and pitch changes when I'm not using my hand. So lately, in the last couple of years, I've been kind of trying to break away from it as much as possible. But there's so many variations when you're doing calls. You know, we talk about excited hen yelps, and they're very important. But, you know, a lot of times out in the woods, and it depends on where you're at, you know, hens aren't always excited. The excited is a really, really good call to know on how to change your voice like a real hen does, but those real light sounds are very, very important too. Okay, uh, Daryl, check out your PM, Chris Parrish. Not sure what that means. Uh, great info, Denny. Another thing, like I said, this listening to turkeys, there's no substitute, absolutely no stuff substitute at all about listening to wild turkeys. You have to really, really listen as much as possible to see, to get the little, like you hear me talk about pitch changes and rhythm changes. There's no other way to learn that. You can't learn that from another guy. You have to actually be able to, you, you have to be able to hear the birds, hear how, they re, how do they do that kind of stuff to be able to, to, to understand it the correct way. Now, I did a little bit excited, Yelps. Let's go a little bit, let's kind of calm down a little bit. And we're going to go through a few of the calls now of, of, of the actual turkeys. Now, hopefully this is going to work. I've got this queued up, and hopefully you're going to be able to hear it as good as I can here. Naturally, I've got a big subwoofer here and some really good speakers. Matt, you've been to my house before. You know that, I mean, I can actually shake the windows with some of this stuff. But what I want to do is I want to talk about, I'm not going to go through all the calls naturally, but one of the things I want to do, I want to talk about is, let's for instance, like on this audio CD I was talking about, how important tree calling is. You know, a lot of guys don't understand tree calling. We hear it every, you know, it's one of the calls that's asked for in turkey calling contests all the time, in many of the major turkey calling contests. But the tree call is a very important call. You know, but it's kind of like aptly uh, misnamed, I think, because a lot of guys, and I've seen this uh, by watching on the Internet, especially some of the younger guys. I remember one time a guy posed, uh, posted a thing on there one time where he said that, 
why in a turkey calling contest don't they let us call out like a hen does in a tree? Well, in all the years, the 17 years I've been climbing under the, under the roost and watching a lot of these hens, you know, I found out that there's kind of stages that they go through. And the first stage, when a hen first wakes up early in the morning, she does a tree call. Now, the tree call, I think, should be better named as kind of like a wake-up call. And that wake-up call that a hen does is almost like she doesn't really open her mouth. It's just a sound that really can't be heard more than 15 to 20 yards away. All it does and all it's made for, all that, all that tree call does, the wake-up call is, it just lets each turkey in the area, in the general area, know that they're still there. That's an important call, especially in a high hunted area, in a high-pressured area where, where gobbers are hunted in. Sometimes this tree call is the best call, absolutely the best call to use, and it sometimes is the only call to use. So let's take a quick listen now. It's only about two minutes long, but listen closely. Listen closely to the wake-up tree call on how a bird, I've got a hen sitting right above me now, and listen closely as they wake up. And as the pro, as it goes on, you'll notice as that bird wakes the next five minutes or so, you'll actually hear them start to get a little bit more aggressive before they fly off the roost. I'm hoping everybody can hear all this. Maybe you can give me a heads up uh, if you're able to hear that audio, if I quit talking. Notice that light under the breast stuff. You can barely hear that 15, 20 yards away. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, all you guys. I appreciate your comments, making sure you can hear it. Remember, this is some of the most important stuff. Listening to the real birds. There's no substitute. Notice now the birds. It's about five or ten minutes that went by. Now the birds are woke up. Now they're actually starting to carry all that social talk back and forth, back and forth. Getting a little bit more aggressive. Not too much, but they're still just talking. This talk is some of the most important stuff there is throughout the day. Beautiful fly-down cackle. Like I said, I'm turning this into a seminar, and I really don't want to do that, but I go off on tangents. I feel that there's a lot of stuff that really has to be touched on, and as I do that, hopefully I'm answering some of your questions. Okay, I listen to treetop turkeys all the time. Would love to buy one if you make it. You know, treetop turkeys uh, is great. Mike Batty, uh, a couple of years ago, come out with Spit and Feathers. It was an excellent recording. Uh, you know, I had a lot of comments. It's it's really interesting because Mike did a great job, you know, years ago with uh, with Spit and Feathers. 
And I had a couple guys call me a couple times and ask me, you know, and I, I directed them to Spit and Feathers. I said, if you really want to hear some good stuff back in that day, I says, listen to Spit and Feathers. And they said, well, you know, there's a whole lot going on. I hear a lot of different hands, and it's like a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. But, you know, like I said, I've been doing this for 17 years, and if you really listen close to Spit and Feathers and many of the other productions out there, treetop, turkeys, whatever, if you listen real closely, those hens, as they're talking back and forth, each one of those hens and those recordings are actually talking to another bird. You're not hearing a bunch of mumbo-jumbo there. If you listen closely with a good set of headphones and really listen closely, you'll hear that the conversation, there's conversations going on amongst each one of those hands, and every one of those conversations, the pitch changes, the rhythm changes, that is so important to learn that stuff. But what's really crazy about this, and listening to turkeys is, and I said this before, you've got to listen to it all the time, almost daily, you've got to listen to it, but amazingly, you could go to listen to turkeys all day, and when I go to bed and get up in the morning, I kind of lost that edge until I've got another three or four minutes of actually listening to birds till I can catch that edge again. You know, and that's, that's really funny. You know, I tried to figure that out one time, and I said, how could that possibly be? You know, I spent all day listening to turkeys. Why can't I listen, get up early in the morning and do it again or listen to them again or come back the way they do? And here's what I found out, and it's really, it's, it's an interesting, it's kind of like our psyche, I guess. And we see it all, like, let's, and I said this to many times before some other guys, it's like we hear a song on the radio, and we get that song in our mind. We've all done this. We get that song. Maybe you're going to work, and you hear a song in your, in your head, and it gets in your head, and it's in your head all day long. You can't get that song out of your head. But as soon as you go to bed and wake up the next morning, you can't even remember anything about that song until you hear it again. And that's so true to, lot, to wild turkeys, too. You've got to, if you're really serious about this, and you're obsessed as I am, and many of you guys, if you're really obsessed... You've got to listen to every single bird in different situations and listen closely. You know, I have a lot of guys tell me, yeah, I listen to turkeys a lot. But do you really hear what's going on as these birds are talking? That's hugely important. Danny, are any, any helpful hints for those trying to use your calls? That's a good question, Clay. You know, I call differently everyone else. I uh, Not everyone. I see a lot of guys are trying to do it. Matt's doing it. Matt's doing an excellent job. Uh, Chris, or Chris uh, Paris the other day, he's been using the stomach. What I like to do, I like to bring all my sounds from within. If you've ever used my calls, my calls, you probably notice, are not split. There's no cuts in my calls. You know, back 35, 40 years ago, when my buddy and I, my mentor, who's long been passed now, he's an excellent turkey hunter, uh, we made calls together, and we experimented with so many different things. He raised turkeys. I, was, I lived at his house at that time. I actually almost lived at his house. He had a turkey pen. We had recordings. We could be able to hear what's going on in a pen constantly in that turkey room that he had. And we knew that turkeys, the, we, we learned way back then that they had a kind of a raspiness, a resonance, a chesty, whatever you want to call it, throughout their sound, no matter, no matter the age of the bird. So we, we would go back in 30, 35 years ago, and we split and cut a couple calls, and, but I really didn't care for them. I, 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 because to me it was kind of a tinny sound. So we tried to develop different ways of putting the latex together, and I come up with some different things, and it's taken me many, many years. But I've got a way now that I, my calls are, it takes a long time to make each call, but I've got a unique way of stretching each one of the latexes so that every latex works with each other. And if you learn to bring the sounds up from within, from within, you can get that natural resonance or that natural throatiness of, that every hen has, even a young hen. If you listen real closely to a high-pitched young hen, there is some throatiness, some chestiness in even a young hen. So that's really hugely important. Basically, it comes from the vocal, the vocal box is down inside the, chest, uh, in the neck of the hen. 
And if you really, like Joe stated the other day, there's really something really huge. I know in all the years that I raised wild turkeys, I used to sit in my pen, and it's amazing when you're right next to them. When I'm in the woods filming the birds, and I've got them within yards of me, it's amazing to be able to hear the voices, the sounds that are coming from those. It's amazing on some of the sounds they make, and try to duplicate that is, is really incredibly tough. So working with my calls, it takes a little bit of time, but once you learn how to do it, you and work with some within and bring the calls up and don't rely on mouth type action. If you notice when I was demonstrating a call, I basically don't even move my mouth very much unless I want to maybe change, uh, maybe make a little bit off the side of my cheek or whatever, make it a little bit lower or whatever. But most of the time, I stop and start every call from the back of my throat. Every single sound is started and stopped from the back of my throat. And I've been able to try to develop that. You know, Turkey's voice is so unbelievable. Like I said, for 48 years I've been studying these birds, and unbelievably, and this is kind of crazy. You might not believe this, but in 48 years, and I've heard some of the best turkey callers there is, absolutely, but there's just something about a real hand that you never, ever mistake a real hand in the woods. There's nothing like it. And, I mean, I know that there's guys out there that know exactly what I'm talking about. And I've tried, I've listened, I want to hear someone out there that I would absolutely mistake every time. Usually, sure, maybe those first couple notes that they start to make, you might be mm, kind of swayed. Oh, maybe that is, but after a guy gets going or a caller gets going, and if it's a caller, you'll know right away. But they're never. I've got hundreds and hundreds and thousands, you could ask my wife, thousands of recordings of real hens. And every single one of those hens, no matter the situation, no matter how it was recorded, sounds like a hen. They are absolutely incredible. And that's what keeps me so obsessed. And that's what I'm sure you're exactly the same way. To try to get to that point, I really don't think we're ever going to get there. You know, as I said, my mentor, Bob Podash, who's been long gone now, he's, been, he's the guy that taught me a lot. One of the things he told me, he says, Galvis, he said, remember, and I'll never forget this, he said, don't ever become satisfied, because once you become satisfied, you're going to be golfing. And that's really a good piece of advice. Chris Reed, hi, Denny. I still use your picks for my seminars, especially the one where you can see the hen's pupil in the back, in the back view of her head. Turkeys and humans both have one rod for, night, for right vision. How well do you think turkeys can see in low light? You know, like I said, I, I, I've spent a lot of time under the roof, 17 years. I've been under so many different situations, and turkeys can see pretty good in low light. I'm telling you right now, I've been under, you know, like I said, I went an hour, an hour and a half, two hours before light, and I've had some birds actually take off right above me. You know, you can't realize how hard this is to get these roost recordings because I try to get as close as I can. I use two separate perfect, really good microphones, incredible microphones, both of my right to left to get stereo sound. And the best thing is get as close as you possibly can. Now, that sounds easy sitting here, but when you go out there and try it, you can't believe how difficult it is to get right underneath a flock of turkeys without upsetting him in any way. Because if I break a branch or break a stick, it changes the mood of the turkeys. Even though it's in the pitch black and they're still sleeping, as soon as one wakes up, they know that there's something underneath them. And there's a good chance that one broken twig or, or whatever it is is going to change their attitudes when they start to wake up, and they probably won't talk as much. Okay, Ben. Can you explain the difference between Jake Yelps and Gobber Yelps? And what do you think judges should be looking for? That's a good question, Ben. Uh, like I said, they're going to they're gonna incorporate Jake Yelps and Gobber Yelps in some of the contests now. I think it's fantastic. Years ago, 30, 40 years ago, we had to do Gobber Yelps. We had to do Jake Yelps. We had to gobble in some of the major calling contests. Usually the, major the main difference between a Jake and a young, or a young Gobber or a Jake and an older Gobber is that an older Gobber 
usually has a deeper throaty chest. I mean, a, a chesty sound. Louder. They're loud. They're 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 actually throaty and loud. You know, a lot of guys mistake. They say that you know they think that gobblers have a raspy sound, and some do have a raspiness to them. But the main characteristic of a gobbler, even a young gobbler, or especially an old gobbler, they have a bugle, a bugle-like tone. It's a, it's a, it's a loud bugle-like chesty tone, and it's it's unmistakable. I mean, especially a young gobbler. It's un, I mean, an old gobbler. It's it's unmistakable. Now, a young gobbler. Now that's a whole different story because I've heard a lot of young gobblers, and I made this mention to a, to a lot of guys in the last several months. I've recorded a lot of segments, a lot of segments of young gobblers, especially in the last couple of years. You know, I've got some incredible gobbler segments in the last couple of years. You know, I would have gave my left arm 10, 15 years ago to get some of the gobbler segments that I got in the last couple of years. But I've recorded some segments, especially like last year. I had a couple of segments where. Had I not actually seen it, had my eyeball on that young gobbler, I would have absolutely thought it was a young hen. And a lot of that has to do with the bird's age. You know, you know, I'm seeing now, we're seeing a lot of times in some places, especially here in Pennsylvania, we get late broods. You know, we get, I've seen them in August, August 15th, August 16th. Turkey's no more than a couple days old. It's incredible. I've never seen that 20 years ago. I don't ever remember seeing that. In the last several years, I'm seeing that more and more. So we get into the winter period, late, even coming up in the spring. That bird is basically behind that young gobbler. And a lot of times that has effect. You know, a turkey's voice is kind of like a, it's, it starts from a, like we always know the key keys and the whistles. They start with the key keys and the whistles. And it's kind of like a progressive thing. A bird's voice progresses as it gets a little bit older. So we get into that period where a gobbler, a young gobbler who's really not as old as maybe, you know, another one's two months older than him, his voice is going to be more kind of like higher pitch and a little bit more pitchier. But I've heard gobblers make some incredible sounds, sounds that people would never believe came from a wild turkey. I've heard burps and coughs and groans. Chad Claycomb, he had a recording up here. He placed it on there. It's, a great it's on YouTube or one of his, on, his, on his page of a groaning turkey. I've heard many times I've heard gobblers groan like that. I've heard burps. It's incredible, some of the sounds, but they are so unique in their sounds. So it's really, I'm really glad to see that those gobbles, those gobbler sounds are out there because they're hugely important, especially to a fall hunter. But even in the spring, springs, I mean, you can really attract gobblers through gobbler yelping, jake yelping, whatever it is, especially in the latter part of the season when the birds are starting to get back together. The gobblers are starting to get back together. A couple of jake yelps or a couple of gobbler yelps, to try and attract the buddies that are out there, those buddies, and bring them back together again, maybe with a few gobbles, that's absolutely incredible, uh, important to learn some of those things. So learning a gobbler yelp, and there's only one way to learn, that's from listening to the gobblers as much. And today we've got the recordings out there. If you listen really closely, or if you watch on YouTube, there's a number of recordings out there and segments out there on gobbler yelping. So that's a great question, Ben. Bob Smith, any, any new productions coming out anytime soon? You know, I have that, I've had that asked to me a lot. I've got, can you imagine, I've been able to, you know, I'm very fortunate, I've retired a couple of years ago, and I've, I get the opportunity to spend 140, 150 days a year in working with, in working just with turkeys and filming wild turkeys, so you can imagine how much footage I've got, I've been so fortunate, so blessed in what I've got, I mean, you can't believe some of the things, and I've had a lot of guys ask me about it, but it's a, it's a huge undertaking, uh, making a video, when I made the videos, I was younger, I had that enthusiasm to go out and try to do that. Now, I just can't, I just love being in the woods. I just, I just love being in it with the turkeys. So I, I might do another video production, and I think if I do another video production, it's probably going to be more keyed to hen voices, because I've got a lot of nice segments out there just on hen talk, and I, as I said, I, I really, and sure, there's going to be a lot of hunts in there too, I would imagine, but right now I'm kind of concentrating on an audio CD. 
I didn't do this for 17 years for nothing. I'm just waiting for the right time for it to come out because I think it's going to come back around where people are going to start to see that, you know, the fun of actually sitting in a blind on a chair with three or four decoys basically sleeping and then waking up and shooting a turkey, that's not really what turkey, turkey hunting really is. And I think that, you know, that's okay for a youngster and things like that. There's nothing wrong with that. And I have nothing against as long as it's legal. There's nothing, you know, if it's legal, then it's okay. But, you know, there's just, just something about turkey hunting. There's a whole lot of many different factors that go into a successful turkey hunt. And each one of those factors are very exciting and important. And that's what it's really about. So, you know, I, I believe it's going to come back and hopefully I'm going to put that audio C together so that everybody can really hear. Because I think it's really huge. Because a lot of, a lot of the sounds that I've been able to record over the years are incredible sounds. Sounds that many people have never heard before. Okay, David. Do you think decoys are helping young new hunters from actually learning how to hunt turkeys? Absolutely. I mean, not only young hunters. I use a decoy occasionally when I'm filming. I've had some incredibly fantastic, funny things with decoys. You can't believe many, many things. Uh, I used a lot of different decoys. For years, I've used a blow-up decoy. And I've had a lot of fun with a blow-up decoy. You know, I'm working with a camera. I've got a lot of equipment to carry, all kinds of wires. I've got 50 foot of wire, just just one wire alone, besides the microphones and all the other calls and everything else I have with me. There's a lot of things there to carry around. So the blow up decoy is perfect for me, and I've used that blow up decoy. And you can't imagine some of the fun I've had with a de with a blow up decoy. I mean, I've had gobbler after gobbler on top of a blow up decoy, popping a blow up decoy. There it is, it laying on the ground, and he's still trying to tread what looks like an old rag laying on the ground. And he's treading that, treading it over again. Some humorous situations. I can't tell you how much, but a decoy can be a very valuable tool because it gives it gives a gobbler something to look at on the way in. It gets it gives that visual stimuli instead of you know instead of just hearing the bird once he gets that visual stimuli. But there's a, there's an art to using decoys. There's definitely I could do the whole I could talk to you about this all night on how to use a decoy. You know, decoy placement is hugely important on how you place your decoy. You know, even just by tilting your head maybe just a little bit too far forward or maybe backwards or whatever it is, it gives a gives a uh, the hand maybe an un, un a non-natural look, and a gobber recognizes that, especially a gobber who's been has had decoys before. And so there is an art to actually using decoys, but if you use it in the right way, especially in an area where it's thick, to put a decoy out there where a gobber can come out and see them, they can really be a good tool. Pat, talk about how a gobber can get into a trance when you get him close. Good question, Pat. I, I think I've talked to him about that. This is huge. You know, all the years of filming wild turkeys, I used to do this in seminars. I did seminars for 15 or 20 years, and I did a video-assisted seminar where I'd go through some different talk, and when I, would, when I would talk about different segments and different encounters, we'd actually go out and watch and see it being done. Now, what's really cool is, if you learn to do some of the light sounds, and you really get a gobbler worked up. Now, a lot of guys can't understand this until they actually see it done, but I've had it happen over and over again. Where a gobbler, you know yourself, a gobbler is really hyped up in the spring. I mean, there's one thing on his mind, and that's all, and it's like a buck in a rut. And a, and a buck in a rut, we've all seen a buck in a rut where they get into that cross-eyed thing where they would almost like running into something, and they're crazy. Well, gobbler is exactly the same way. And if you work a gobbler the right way, and if you do the right sounds to them, and you have good setups, I've actually had gobblers come in within 5 to 10 yards of me. And as long as I kept up those light feeding, contentment sounds, those sounds that he's naturally used to hearing, as long as I kept them up, I actually got the gobber to go into a trans-like state. This is unbelievable. I've had gobbers standing 5 to 10 yards away from me for 40 to 45 minutes. And the longer they're there, 
And the more I keep talking to him with them real light calls, the longer he's going to stay there and the more he gets into that trance. You cannot believe it. You know, I had a guy at a seminar ask me, a couple people at a seminar asked me one time, well, why would a turkey, how, how could a turkey come within five to ten yards away? Don't they see it? Well, I'm a real stickler for good camouflage. you got to be when you're working with a camera and you're trying to get the birds close. I mean, I pay close attention to it. But I believe, and I truly believe this, and I've said this in my seminars over the years, I truly believe that if I'm camouflaged well enough and I've got a good setup in front of a stomper in front of a tree and i got my outline broken, and I'm continually talking to them with those really very important contentment and light sounds that the natural hens do. As a gobbler's coming in, he sees that stump. He sees that, he sees that there. He knows that something's not, as long as he keeps, if I'm doing the right sounds, that he recognizes, he actually starts to think, I believe anyhow, I believe that that gobbler actually thinks that the hen is sitting in that bush. Now, we've all seen hens, she might be laying on a nest, or they go into a nooning period at 11, 12 o'clock. A hen will lay down and actually rest. And I actually believe that as long as he's hearing sounds that he's used to hearing, he's comfortable with, he actually, and that's where he goes in that trans-like state, and I've had him walk back and forth and back and forth. As a matter of fact, I've actually had a situation one time where I called a gobbler up in Potter County in some of the biggest, some of the most toughest areas up there, and my brother was with me. I was, we were working on a cover for the Challenging Pressure Gobblers, and he had a 35-millimeter still, still camera. And I'll, forget, I'll never forget this. I had a gobbler come in. I had him in front of me for 15, 20 minutes. He stayed there for 30 minutes, 35, 40 minutes. I was running out of tape. I didn't have a whole lot of tape, so I turned the camera off. My brother heard me quit calling. He heard me quit doing those light contentment calls. And the gobbler, after he started losing interest, and he slowly started working his way away. When he went down over the bank, my brother signaled to me that he was going to move up a little bit, and I was going to start calling again. And I started calling. He got into a new position. And I called, and the gobbler come back up over the hill and started working his way into me. And I started with those light contentment calls, and here he comes again. He walks right beside my brother, and my brother's getting some side shots of him. He gets up on his knees. Unbelievable. And you've got to remember now, this is hard to believe. He gets up on his knees, and he actually starts walking towards the gobbler. And he stands up behind the gobbler. And I kept talking to him this whole time. And the gobbler come, is coming to me, and at times he's looking back at my brother who's got the 35mm camera up, and he's trying to take pictures of it, and I'm kind of almost laughing, I couldn't believe what I was seeing, he's walking right behind this gobber. Now you might say to yourself, oh, that, that's a tame gobber, but this is in Hammersley Wild area of Potter County. There's not a house within 20 miles of there. Now, it just goes to show the state of a gobber can be, it's like a buck in a rut. And, and I got it all on film, and you know, I was going to put it on my challenging pressure gobbers. Because I thought it was so unbelievable, but the reason I didn't put it on challenging pressure gobbers is, that anybody see that, they say, hey, this gobbler, there's no way. He's got to be filming in areas where that's not the kind of turkeys I film. I mean, anybody walking behind a turkey. But I did show it at my, vet, at my video seminars. And I had the opportunity to tell everyone what you're going to see, you're not going to believe. But I've had that situation a couple of times before. So if you do the right sounds and do them the right way, the natural way, and learn to do them the way that a gobbler is expecting to hear that stuff, they can go into this, this trans-like state. It's amazing. I could spend all night talking to you of many different situations I've had like that. So that's a great question. John Haynes, can you explain the difference between all your mouth calls and which is the easiest for a beginner? Proper techniques for using a gobble tube like the one you use. Well, I always, I always kind of say I make a double, a triple, a master's choice, and a forerunner. Uh, probably the double is the easiest to use, but, you know, everybody, all it does is just whatever you get used to. You know, the double, you're only working with two latexes in there. 
it you know it's a little bit easier to make the sounds but you know the master's choice is probably the one I use the most by far that master's choice and uh, I can do a lot of different sounds with it I probably use it 90 to 95 percent of the time but you know I've had guys call me and there some guys really love the forerunner some guys love the triples but you know each one it just takes a little bit of practice like any other anybody else's calls or whatever it is it takes a little bit of practice and once you learn how to blow it from within actually you know I don't have to I don't force the calls and that's really huge with my calls I try to tell everyone not to force the sound. You know, a lot of guys will put my calls in after blowing a split read call, whatever, and they, they try to use a mouth type action and they blow it so hard. Well, really, what happens, that's, that's defeating the purpose of what my calls are. You actually want to roll into the call, roll into as much as you can, get the highs, the, low, the, the highs up into the lows, roll into the highs, the lows. And it doesn't take a lot of sound. You don't have to call out. You know, Turkey has an incredible, I just talked to a guy a little bit earlier about this. Turkey has an incredible sense of hearing. I mean, I know deer can really hear good, but I'm, I really, really would say that they match, a gobber can match or a hen can match a, a deer any day. They've got an incredible, and I've done studies over the years on gobbers. I can remember one time, a number of times, I've been in some of the Mod Potter, Cameron County mountains, gobbers two, two ridges away, almost a half a mile away, and I would cluck once or twice to them and a the gobber would gobble. And I'd say, that's impossible. There's no possible way that this gobbler's doing it. And I'd do it over and over again. Their hearing is incredible. So you don't really have to call loud. And I found over the years that a hen, an actual hen, usually seldom ever calls any louder than she really has to. Because as I said earlier, those hens, they know that their voice can get them in trouble. Doug Brandenburg, would you say overcalling, calling too much is the biggest reason new turkey hunters don't kill a gobbler? We like to hear each other call. We all like to hear ourselves call. I'm guilty of it as much as anybody else. And yes, you can definitely overcall. Every situation is a little bit different out in the woods. I like to read a gobber. You know, a gobber will tell you a lot what to do. If you and, and you know, I can't sit here and tell you exactly. Well, this is what you got to do. This is what you got to do. That comes from experience. It's like anything else. The more you, the more you learn from the birds, the more birds you get a chance to work with. You get a kind of like an inner feeling. Whenever a gobbler answers to me, I kind of like some guys call it taking their temperature, and that's basically what it is. And it's hard to explain this, but how a gobbler responds to me, I kind of know or have an idea what I might want to say to him or how hard I want to hit him with or how not so hard. And he tells you a lot. If he jumps right in on my calls, that Ben Lee said this years ago, if a gobbler cuts you in your calling, and this is 30, 40 years ago, Ben was a wise person. He knew what was going on in turkey calling and turkey hunting. One of the things he said is, if a gobbler cuts you in your calling, get ready because he's coming. And I've seen that situation many times before. So you got to read each situation. Sure, many guys overcall. Remember, I said, a gobbler can hear a long ways. And once you give him an indication, you say something to him, he knows the hen's there. And, it, and if you have a lot of patience, and that's something I've learned over here, that's actually been, that's actually been my friend. As I get older, patience has been my friend. And I could, I mean, I could tell you so many times how patience has really helped me. Now, we talk about run and gun today. You know, you're going to kill a lot of gobbers running and gunning. That's an actually, you know, that's a technique I used to do a lot when I was, I used to drive the roads, get out and listen for long ways and call from the road. I hate to do it now. I hate my vehicle. I just love to park some way and walk for miles, walk four or five hours is with the camera. I just love it now. But years ago, I used to do that. I used to run and gun and had a lot of gobbers. I mean, we did okay on that. And you're going to do a lot. But, you know, patience. You can't believe some of the things I've seen by being patient. You know, when I've got all the camera equipment out there and the microphones are out there, I just can't roll everything up all the time and run and go. And go. But you can't believe some of the things that I've seen by being able to sit still, be impatient, let the gobbler work. Be, let him work. Let him come. Let him come. 
it's amazing on how what you'll see out there if you're just a patient hunter. Derek Stallman, can you and would you demonstrate some of your soft contentment calls? Okay, first of all, before I demonstrate them, Derek, that's great. I'm going to let you listen to uh, uh, to some real birds on some of the contentment sounds. Let's listen to uh, what I like to call uh, under the almost like uh, over. They're just like a, a under the breast type stuff that a real hen does. This is like I said before. This is some of the most unbelievable light stuff that the turkeys do. I mean, I like to call it up close and personal talk. Let's listen to it. You hear the little purrs. Every once in a while, a few pucks and pucks. Real life. Remember, all this stuff is... You can't even hear this stuff within a matter of 15, 20 yards away. These birds are doing it under their breath. birds to hear these sounds, but these sounds right here that you're listening to are what the turkeys do, hens do, and robbers do throughout the day. These birds are used to hearing this stuff. And these exact sounds right here is what I was talking about earlier about having a gobber in, in a, in a trans-like state. This is what they're used to. And if you can learn to do this at the right volume, the way the birds do, there's no more important call out there than this stuff right here. A little bit of agitated hand stuff. I see this a lot. I see this a lot throughout the day. And this goes on a lot of times. You know, that pecking order of the wild turkey is really strong. And a lot of, a lot of birds will actually try to override themselves or try to gain up another step in the, in the pecking order. And we see that a lot of those agitated sounds. But those really, really light sounds are absolutely so important to turkey calling. Those light, light purrs. Now I'll demonstrate, I'll try to demonstrate them again. I don't know how they're going to come across on this phone. But give you an idea. I'll do some little light purrs and a couple light yelps. You know, I like to think of those sounds. I like to actually put like a 15-yard circle perimeter around me. And I like to actually concentrate of, not, of making a sound that can't be heard past that 15-yard perimeter. And that's, that's a way to kind of give you an idea on how the volume or how low your volume is. You know, I judge a lot of turkey calling contests. And we hear a lot of purrs and a lot of contentment sounds and contentment yelps. But a lot of times... Most of the guys, or a lot of those guys, are putting a little bit too much emphasis, too much volume on it. And really, those purrs and those contentment-type sounds are what I call 50 to 60-yard calls. Those are the sounds that you do when a bird's coming and he's 50 to 60 yards away. But once that gobbler gets within 20 to 15, 18 yards away, you've got to really be able to get the volume down. Just like almost the sound, just like you heard, the sounds coming from within the turkey themselves. And those little sounds that you could barely hear within what I like to say that 15-yard perimeter. 
If you can practice those sounds, they are the key to successful turkey call. Now, I've had guys say to me, well, what do I got to learn those light calls for? I'm not going to have a gobbler come in with 15 yards. I'm going to shoot him before he gets there. Well, you all know that when you've got a gobbler coming in, they don't come straight in. You're going to have them go to your right, go behind you, whatever. So you've got to learn some of those light calls to keep that gobbler there. Otherwise, he's going to be gone. And that's where these light sounds really, really play. For me, as a cameraman, I like to get them as close as I can possibly get them, and those are some of the key calls. Those are probably some of the most important calls to learn. Those light contentment calls, whether it be the what I call pull-wheel-wheels that the birds make, or the hut-per-hut feeding calls. I talked about that on my Challenging Pressure Gobblers. I like to equate it with the kind of our language. I say hut per hut so I can remember what that what the rhythm is in that. Uh, you'll hear them do pull, what I call pull wheel wheels, pull wheel wheels, the turkey, turkeys do. Each one of those sounds are important, but it's so hugely important to learn the light calls. I mean, you know, there are times for those light calls, and that's what the bird hears throughout the day. They recognize it. But Barry, Denny, can you demonstrate a kiki for us fall turkey hunters? You guys are killing me. I'll do, what I'm going to do, I'll do a couple whistles when I do a kiki's. I won't do a kiki run. I'm just going to do, you know, kiki's an important whistle. You know, I've I raised turkeys for many years. I just love the young turkeys. I learned a lot from the young birds. You know, when they ask for a kiki or a whistle in a calling contest, one of the things when I was judging a calling contest, and this is hugely important in a kiki or a whistle, what, what are we doing? The reason we do a kiki, the kiki is a lost call. That's basically what it is. Uh, in, in a fall type breakup situation, once the birds are lost from whatever, I mean, they've, many many flocks have never been broken up before, or if they've been broken up, you know, it's only been a couple of times. So they're frantically lost, and they're wondering where their brothers and their sisters are. And a lot of guys fail to put that feeling in, that lost feeling into their calls, and that's hugely important. If you've ever been around a young bird who's been separated from their youngster, from one of their brothers and sisters, it's amazing. It's amazing some of the sounds you can actually feel. Feel the intensity of being lost within their calls. Well, I'll demonstrate, get an idea of a young bird who's been lost, and then just kind of looking for some one of her, one of his sisters or his brothers out there. You notice changes in the voice. You see that as birds progress. Remember, I said the voices are changing. A lot of times, when even like when a young, an older bird, a young bird voice will change with intensity. It's that feeling. Now, as I'm demonstrating that call. You can't see it, but I've got two hens sitting right there and a picture of a hen. And I'm looking at those hens when I'm doing them calls. Again, that mental imagery. I'm actually imagining that hen making that sound. No matter if I'm yelping, I'm cutting, or whatever it might be, I'm imagining those birds. That mental imagery is so hugely important in the woods and especially on the calling contest stage. I can't tell you how, much that, how important that really is. And I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit later on. Scott Prunswick, Denny, to me your woodsmanship is, is top of the shelf. Your videos have taught me much through the years. Thank you. What is the most important lesson you have learned through the years about being successful each spring? There's not one lesson. Absolutely not one lesson. I mean, there's a lot of things. You know, 
I tell everyone this, when you walk in the woods, there's a lesson every day. Even if you don't even hear a gobbler, there's a lot of lessons to learn out there. The woods are telling you something all the time. You know, there was just recently on, on Turkey Callers of America or so, there was a little bit of a, a back and forth of what's more important, turkey calling or woodsmanship. Naturally, common sense tells you if you can put both together, that's going to be the best turkey hunter for sure. And yes, usually the guys that can't call much are going to say, well, calling isn't that important. You know, and, and woodsmanship, absolutely. I mean, there's no there's no, no substitute for good woodsmanship. But what is woodsmanship? You know, for me, I believe that woodsmanship is being able to read all that the woods is trying to tell you. There's a lot going on. As soon as we step out of that vehicle, as soon as we step in the woods, there's a lot going on out there. And we've got to become aware of everything that's going on. Every bird, every animal, every squirrel, they're all talking to each other. We're a foreigner when we walk in the woods. And there's a lot of little things, as long as we keep and learn to smell the roses on what's going on out there. Keep an open eye and an open ear to what, you know, there's a lot revealed out there. Uh, scratching, cracks, droppings, whatever. And being a good woodsman is learning how to read the woods. That's the biggest thing, because there's a lot going on. The woods is telling you something every time you go out there. So pay close attention to some of the things that they're telling you. Because really, woodsmanship really plays an important role. And when you tie both of them together with good calling and woodsmanship, there's, I mean, it's, it, it's inevitable. Inevitable, you're going to be the best turkey hunter for sure. So, I mean, that's a great question, Dave. David, I've been following what seems like you forever. Always learn something from your talks and videos. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate that. Best live feed. Thank you, Danny. So much knowledge. I don't know about knowledge. You know what's, what's neat? Like I said, I've been working with these turkeys for 48 years. And it seems the more I work with them, the less I know. At least it seems like the less I know. They teach me something every single day. You know, just when you think you've got something down, you think, oh, wow, this is going to work. The next day they're going to make a fool out of you. Absolutely. And I know every one of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, that's the unpredictable nature of the bird. That's what keeps us going. There's nothing like it. I mean, you know, it's what's so neat about turkey calling. That's why I'm so, one of the reasons I'm so obsessed that there's, there's just something unique. And there's just something unique about being able to speak to a wild animal. And to actually being accepted by that animal uh, through a conversation. I mean, that's what makes it so unique. I mean, when you get a conversation going with a hen or a conversation going with a gobbler, and you know that you're actually talking to one another, and have that bird come in close to you, I mean, there's nothing. I can remember times in Potter County and some of the big mountainous areas I've been in, I could, I could hear a gobbler where you could barely ever hear the gobbler. And I worked with different sounds, different calls to try to get the gobbler in, and maybe a half hour, 45 minutes later, I got the gobbler standing within 15 yards away, I mean, there's not a greater feeling at all to absolutely look at that gobbler and say, wow, I could barely hear him a half hour ago, and there he is standing right there gobbling in your face. There's, I mean, that's, that's hugely what makes us so interesting and so exciting. David, uh, or let's see, Scott, Denny, please discuss the rhythm of the hen turkey yelp. Please discuss the rhythm of the hen turkey yelp. Scott, that's a good question. There is no one rhythm of a hen turkey yelp. You know... I've been studying these birds, like I said, every hen, it all depends on the situation. You know, you never know what you're going to run into. The I mean, there's you got excited yelps, as I said before, you got some real light yelps. One of the things that I found out, and this is really, really hugely important, is the turkey has a vocal, what I call a vocal reflex that is incredible. Now, we see that a lot in, in gobblers. Now, let me explain what that is. And this is kind of hard and difficult to understand, but it really is hugely important in dealing with and learning rhythm, turkey rhythm. You know, studying my recordings, going back daily, going back listening over and over again, a couple of years ago, something hit me that was really amazing to me, both in gobblers and the hens. Now, we all know, we see this uh, vocal reflex in gobblers especially. Let's, let me give you an example. 
Let's say we have four gobblers standing right in front of us. Maybe it could be four young gobblers, four older gobblers, whatever it is. And we've got an alpha, go alpha gobbler who's the boss pretty much of the group. And a crow goes over, and that alpha gobbler gobbles. In almost all cases, the other three gobblers are going to follow that first gobble. And that go each one of their gobblers are going to be so close together, it almost sounds at times like it's one gobble. And I'm sure you've all seen this before and heard this before. And it's, that's incredibly, it's always been incredibly amazing to me on how they can do that. Now, each one of us, if we set up four guys and I'd say, well, okay, I'm going to gobble and I want you to follow me, and I'm not going to tell you when I'm going to do it, it would be gobble, 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 gobble. Our reflex is nowhere near like a vocal reflex of a wild turkey. So what's that got to do with hens? Well, listening to some of my recordings of my, my things, I found out something that was really, really amazing, is that a hen... A hen has a vocal reflex, too, that is incredibly unbelievable. If you, because here's what I'm trying to get across. If one hen starts calling in a group, let's say we've got three or four different hens there, and if one hen starts calling, and she's yelping or she's cutting, whatever it is, and another hen in that group starts to talk or starts to call, immediately, that first hen instantly, instantly will stop calling right away. I've seen this, I've listened to it, and you can listen to it in a lot of recordings, Whenever there's a small group of turkeys and one hen's calling and another, go or another hen starts calling, that first hen's going to stop right away. Or if a gobbler gobbles, that hen is going to stop right away. It's unbelievable on how, how really characteristic that is. The only time you're going to see a variance of that is when we get into a big, big, big flock situation where we get a lot of social talk going on. Then you're going to hear hens calling over top of each other. But remember, it's important to be, to be realistic to never call over top of another hen. And what that tells me, when a hen's call, as a hen's calling, that tells me that the hen is actually listening as she's calling. Now, we're always so accustomed to call and then listen for a response. But a real hen, and I've studied this, a real hen, in my opinion again, a real hen, when she's calling, she's listening within every single note. And as she listens, she's listening closely. That's where these single and double double yelps that we hear a lot. A hen will walk through the woods and she'll yelp, and all of a sudden, yelp, yelp, whatever it is. They're listening as they're calling. When I did that kiki, I'm trying to listen. So if you can incorporate thinking about listening as you're calling, while you're calling like a real hen does, it's amazing on how that will help you with your rhythm. Because rhythm is really difficult to understand, and all, it's always going to be a little bit different. But remember to try to listen like a turkey does as you're calling. I'll give you an example. I'm going to play about two or three minutes of a bird that was right above me one morning. And I want you to listen closely as it gets more and more excited. Listen to how that bird immediately stops calling as soon as a gobber gobbles, that are, there was three or four gobbers coming into this hen while she was calling in a tree also, and it's really nice. It's probably one of the best excited hen yelps I've ever got, if you heard the whole thing. I mean, segments, excited hen segments. And it got, there was three, other, three old gobbers coming, and you'll hear her calling. Every time she calls, right in the middle of her yelps, or whatever it is, or if she even had another hen would call, you'll immediately hear her stop. And it's amazing. This vocal reflex is absolutely amazing. So let's take a listen. It's about three minutes long here. It's really, really an educational segment. You hear that bird right there? Sounds like a hen. That's a young gobbler calling right there. I was set up, I had about six or seven hens right above me, and one of these hens absolutely started open up. She knew that the gobblers were coming to them, and she just sat there and started calling to them. But listen closely for that vocal reflex.
She's starting. when she gets going. I mean, she could be right in some intense yelping, and as soon as that gobbler gobbles, she's off right away. She stops. She's listening. pitch changes. That's how hugely important that is. You hear that in every bird. Notice how she stops every time that gobble gobbles. Barbara's getting closer and closer. And she's looking down at him and she's talking to him, trying to bring him closer. And another hen joined. You hear how she stopped as soon as another hen started calling? I mean, that vocal reflex is incredible, absolutely incredible. I mean, I see it over and over again, so you want to remember that, to listen while you're calling, because that's what a hen does. Brandon Tater Rich, carrying on the theme of rhythms and cadence. Oh, shoot, I missed that. Uh, you might, can you give me that again? Uh, Darren Dye, it's like she's anticipating the gobbles. Somewhat, somewhat she is, but a lot, you know, really what she's listening within every single sound. And I'm telling you, that's a hugely important tool when we're trying to actually learn rhythms that will actually play into a real conversation. Listen while you're calling. It's hard. I practice it all. I, I preach it all the time, and it's hard for me to do that, to think of that all the time in the woods. But that's hugely important. Most incredible question and answer ever. How could that be, Howard? I never even answer hardly any questions. <laughs> I've been carried away just like a seminar. But I, I hope you... I, I mean, I hope, I hope you... Uh, I mean, are patient with me on that on that aspect. As I said, I get kind of carried away, and you know, hopefully, I'm answering things that maybe did, maybe somebody didn't answer, or you're going to answer or ask me, and I answered anyhow. You know, another thing I found really, really important. You know, this I, I've just kind of just been working this. Clay's got another question here first. What are your thoughts about calling turkey before the season? Will it hurt the hunting in regular season? That's a good question, Clay, and I'm sure you know what's going on here in Pennsylvania. We've got a congressman or legislator, whatever it is, and I've seen he brought it up a couple of years ago. He's trying to legislate calling before the season. He's trying to, to make it where uh, you're, it's be illegal to call before the season. Boy, 
when I first heard that two years ago, it was like somebody punching me in the gut because I'm a filmmaker. I mean, I film throughout the season, throughout the year. You know, they want to make it so that, you know, 30 or whatever it is day before the season uh, where somebody can't go out with a turkey call and call a turkey in. But, you know, I can tell you over and over and over again how many times, if you do it the right way, if you do it the right way, a turkey's got a brain the size of a peanut or a pine, actually the size of a walnut. They can't reason like you and I. And I've had guys say, oh, you call a turkey and turkey comes in, or gobbler comes in and he can't find that hen. He just educated him. Well, that's, that's, that's crazy. Because there's a many times that a hen will call out in the woods or gobbler will go and investigate and he, he don't know. You know, the hen just walked away for whatever reason. If you do it the right way and, and actually call the gobbler, if you call the gobbler, you decide to call the gobbler in or take pictures or whatever or learn, just basically learn because that's the best learning tool there is by far. How are you going to learn unless you experience it? You know, you only get so many situations in season. So, you know, there's no way to learn anything unless you get the opportunity to practice. You know, the bad part, the other bad part about this is, is that it restricts guys. You know, years ago, back in the 70s, everybody scouted. You know, I don't even see guys scouting. You know, like I said, I get, I get the opportunity to go out every day. And I don't see guys out before the season. This is really crazy because, you know, some, this guy that's trying to bring this in to our, you know, into Pennsylvania here really don't understand what's going on. You know, he's got a few constituents that are, you know, maybe having a little bit of trouble calling gobblers in or whatever it is. And one of the main things he stated is, well, it's going to make it a little bit easier for turkey hunters. Are you, are you serious? Make it easier for turkey hunters to kill turkeys. I mean, where's the challenge? We want the challenge. If that has, but that has no effect. I can tell you how many times over the years that I've actually caused more gobblers' death by calling them in and talking to them. And I've had, I've done it to a lot of friends who to this day don't even know that I did it. You know, I'll give you one example. You know, I had a, I was, I was working on, uh, through an area one day, I was driving, going to, and I see my buddy's car parked there, a guy that I knew fairly well, and his car was parked there, so naturally I didn't want to go nowhere near him. So I went way on the other mountainside, got on the other hillside, and I started working my way in with the camera equipment. I heard a gobbler gobbling down in the bottom. And I waited for a while to listen to see if he was calling to him. And I didn't hear him, and the gobbler didn't seem to be answering. He was only gobbling once in a while to a crow or whatever. So I decided to set the camera and microphones up. So I set the camera and microphones up on my side of the hillside, and I started a conversation with the gobbler. And the gobbler responded well, and after a little bit of things I said to him, I was able to bring him into me. I got him in within 10 or 15 yards, and I got him into that trance-like state that I was talking about before. I did those light calls back and forth. The gobbler strutted back and forth in front of me for twenty good 20 minutes, and he was in a trance. I mean, he just was, he wanted a hen bad. The more I said to him, the more he wanted that hen. Well, I pretty much had what I wanted, and I turned the camera off, and I just went quiet. And after a while, the gobbler started working his way away, and then he kind of worked his way away, and then he left. And I went home that day. A couple hours later, I got a telephone call from that same guy, and he says, you ain't going to believe what I just happened today. He says, I was in an area, he said, and I... I was on the hillside, he said, I heard a gobbler gobbling down in the bottom, and I did everything I could, and I couldn't get him to come to me, he said, and he seemed to go away from me, he said, so I just left, he said, and I went around, and I decided I had to come in in a different way. He said, I was walking in, he said, I only had to make one call, and this gobbler almost run me over. And I never did tell him what it was, but usually in a situation like that, you get a gobbler so hyped up, so much, they want a hen so bad, that they'll go to any sound. So I've actually caused more gobbler's death. Now, I could spend all night talking about this calling before season. I mean, it's, it's absolutely ludicrous to even think about that. If you do it the right way, and you don't scare the gobbler, what scares the gobbler is when he sees a person. When he sees a person. Now, naturally, if you call the gobbler in and you let him see you, sure. I mean, that's going to definitely have an effect on a gobbler. You know, I talked to our state representative uh, here, Matt Gobbler, in our area, as soon as I heard it. See, they brought this up, two, like I said, two years ago, and that same legislator brought it in here again now, and they're coming. I've called uh, someone from the Turkey Federation, Ray Smith from the Turkey Federation. I talked to him. I talked to our state legislator, uh, 
our representative here, and really there's not too much. They don't expect this to, to have any legs. It's not going to go anywhere. And, you know, if I have to go there, I talked to Ray I, him and I discussed it, and he, he shakes his head just like I do. You know, it's, it's, it's limiting somebody. You know, to learn from these turkeys, you've got to get out there and learn. There's no other way. You've got to get in the woods. What this doing, it's handcuffing people, to keeping them out of the woods. And instead of encouraging, encouraging people to get out in the woods and do it the right way, it's, it's handcuffing people. And that's something, you know, I mean, that's really the wrong way to go. And I could, like I said, I could spend all night on this, but hopefully that never comes to light here in Pennsylvania. Because, you know, there's a lot of guys out there, there's photographers out there that just enjoy the woods just as much as any hunter. And that's the time, I mean, there's a lot of different things. And as me as a filmmaker, it's, it's part of the time that I do it. And I would hate to have, and how are you going to, how are you going to absolutely, I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to, are they going to strip search you or whatever? You know, you got diaphragm calls. What, how are they going to ever tell of a turkey? It's just a, it's just a whole crazy craziness. How are they going to enforce something like that? But all in all, though, it's just a crazy law. It's just a crazy law. But more, one, of the, one of the most important things is we don't want to keep the guys out of the woods. We want, you got to learn. The only way you're going to learn is like any sport. You've got you've to do it. You can't practice. You can't be a good base basketball player by sitting on a couch and reading about basketball. You've got to get out there and use the ball. Same with baseball. You've got to do it. You've got to actually do it to become good at it. MD, MD Dale. What do you do when a gobbling bird is gobbling every time you call, yet he keeps walking away? What do you personally do? A lot of, of different opinions, just wondering what you do. If I have a gobbler walking away from me, and that, you know, I see that a lot. You'll see that a lot. If you watch my Challenging Pressure Gobblers, I had a, I had a gobbler that did something like that. You know, like I said, you got to read the gobbler. Every gobbler is a little different. Uh, they're so unpredictable. You never know what that. But if I, if I was talking to a gobbler and he goes away from me, I'll, I'll keep, in some cases, it depends on how far away I am from him. I'll actually work with them. I'll actually make it sound because in a situation in the spring, we all know that when a gobbler gobbles, he's trying to track that hen. And he expects that hen to come to him. And that's what he's doing. That's why he's walking away. He knows that if he walks away, in most cases, an interested hen, and when I'm calling to him, I'm an interested hen. I'm telling him that I'm interested. And he knows that when he hears me calling. So he knows that interested hen. In most cases, if I'm real, that hen's going to follow him. So a lot of times I'll just follow the gobbler as long as I can keep a safe distance and follow, follow him away, follow with him. And I'll talk to him, some of the light calls, light yelps, maybe a few cuts, clucks, whatever, just to kind of keep his interest, let him talk to me back and forth. Now, one technique, and you've seen it in Challenging Pressure Gobblers, and it's only one technique over the years, <clears throat> what I'll do is I'll follow him for a little while, let him go, let him go, and I'll try to keep up, and then I'll just turn right around and walk away from him. It's like, okay, I'm tired of that. I don't want to play that game anymore, and I'll walk away from him. And I'll walk maybe a hundred yards away from him talking. You know, he, he stops and he hears, whoa, wait a minute, she's going away from me. Now, that's not what I expected. I didn't expect that. And sometimes that'll drive a gobbler crazy. What I'll do is I'll get 50 to 80 yards or whatever it is. Maybe I'll come up another 50 yards, get set up and set up position. And then I'll go completely quiet, give him the silent treatment. And then let him play the game. See what happens. That silent treatment is really, really an absolutely excellent, excellent technique to use under difficult situations. You know... There's a lot of different ways to bring in the silent treatment. Usually in a case, what I like to do, I like to get a conversation going with the bird and kind of feel him out, see how he's responding to it. And if he's a little bit leery, whatever, I'll give him what I have to say. I'll say what I have to say to him in the right way to keep him a little bit excited, let him know that I'm a little bit interested, and then I go completely quiet. And once you do that, once you start the silent treatment and hold on to the silent treatment, there's an important rule. Don't break it. Just set tight, and that's where the patience comes in. You might have to sit there an hour. You might have to sit there an hour and a half. But there's a good chance if that gobbler isn't with other hens or whatever it is, or the hens might leave him, he remembers you. It might be two hours later he's going to come back and find her or look for her. 
So that, that style of treatment is an excellent, excellent technique. Ben Chamberlain. Danny, can you do a fly-down cackle? Talk a little bit on the cackle. Turkeys have breakup in their cackle. Good question. Absolutely. I'm glad you asked that, uh, Ben. You know, I talked about this last time I was down in, uh, uh, when I was down in Tennessee, or, yeah, Nashville, last time I was in Nashville, about the fly-down cackle. You know, turkeys, they all cackle. Now, fly-down cackle, for those, those of you who might not be familiar with it, is it's, it's kind of like an excited bur a sound. Not every turkey does it. When they come out of the roost, when they fly from the roost down to the ground. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of anxiousness, a lot of anticipation when a bird comes out of the roost. And, you know, I always kind of liken it to, uh, let's say that we were, on a, we were on a bridge and we had a bungee cord. And if you jumped off a bridge on a bungee cord, what would you probably do? Would you be like, oh, well, you got to remember a turkey is sitting 40 feet up in the tree. Turkeys are good flyers, but they're not known for flying. They only fly basically maybe two or three times a day, early in the morning when they fly out of the roost, when they fly up in the evening, and sometimes maybe across the creek. So they don't fly throughout the day. So when a turkey is going to fly and jump down off that roost, there's a little bit of anxiousness in, their, you know, I mean, in using their wings. And sometimes that's reflected through their voices in a fly-down cackle. And all the fly-down cackles I've heard, if you listen really closely, you'll hear a lot of little pitch changes as the bird cackles when she comes out of the roost. It's almost like that when I said jumping off the bridge with a bungee cord. It's like <gasps> when she jumps down when she jumps down out of the roost. Gobbers will do the same type things. Occasionally you'll hear the same type pitch, but most of the time, and a lot of hens, when I heard flying out of the roost, they have kind of like a break or a, a variance in their fly down cackle. And I'll try to demonstrate kind of like what it might sound. Again, I'm going to try to get in do that mental imagery, try to pretend that I'm in a tree, and do what I think maybe a hen would do as she comes out. It's really interesting because a lot of hens will kind of work right into a fly-down cackle. Sometimes they'll just do a few sounds and jump down, and sometimes they'll actually work right into it. pitch changes, up and down, up and down. You know, on my audio CD that I'm putting together, I talk a little bit about this. A lot of those pitch changes and those breaks in the fly-down cackle, in the notes of that fly-down cackle, a lot of it is as the bird's coming down through the branches and the trees, he's, he or she or whatever it is, is dodging the branches and the trees, and that has, has an effect on a bird's voice as it's jumping down through the trees. And, that's, and that, that plays a lot into a fly-down cackle. And they all do a little bit differently. Sometimes I've been under roosts of 20, 25 birds, not one of them do a fly-down cackle. On my audio CD that I'm working on, I have one instance where I had 18 different birds, and every single one of them, 18, 18 of those old hens, did a fly, some type of a fly-down cackle. It was an amazing morning. But that fly-down cackle, you've got long fly-down cackles, you've got short fly-down cackles, you've got fly-up cackles in the evening. Sometimes a, a hen will jump across a crick, she'll do a short pop, 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 a cackle. Or she'll jump up on a log, whatever it is. They'll do a short, a short cackle. What the cackle does, what that fly-down cackle or that cackle is, it denotes some kind of movement. So, if you're trying to create a scenario, a scenario that you're calling, and you're, trying to, you're talking to a gobbler, and you might sound, oh, you're walking, maybe you're doing a walking job, going to the gobbler. And I come to a little crick or a log, and I'll do a short fly, or just a, like a short cackle, to make it sound like I jumped across a crick. Those little bit of addings like that in your calling are hugely important. You hear me talk about walking yelps. Walking yelps are incredibly important. You know, 
A hen, when she's going to a gobbler, or if she's going to another hen, whatever it is, has a characteristic call that I call a walking yelp. And this is really, really a hugely important sound. Now, let's take a listen to a real hen in the woods doing a walking yelp. It's a hard, it's a hard sound to record because basically, you know, I've only got it a couple of times, because, basically because the turkey's moving. But let's listen closely to a walking yelp of a hen. Usually what it is, it's kind of a rolling that they do kind of like under their breath when they're going from, a, going from one place to another. But they do that a lot. This walking yelp is a hugely important call. Let's take a listen to, uh, to a walking yelp. Notice the rolling rhythm to it. Here are a few cuts, a few pots, clocks, sharp pitch clocks. That's that's usually important for a walking yell. What that walking yelp does, if you're if you're in a situation, if I'm in a situation, I've got a gobber across the hillside. And I want to cut the distance between me and that gobber. Now I can sit down right here and try to call him across to me, or I can make it even more realistic. And make it sound like a hen who's excited and just wants to go see him. And that's where I'm going to do that walking yelp. Now that walking yelp is an excellent call. I mean, I hear it, and it's some, it, just, it just creates and paints, you paint a picture with this walking yelp. And it's hugely important. What I'll usually do is I'll, I'll kind of like when I get to a certain distance, and usually when I'm doing this walking yelp, a lot of times those gobbers will gobble to it because he, he recognizes it. He, he can tell. His hearing is telling him that she's getting closer and closer through this, through this natural walking yelp that he heard hens do before. He's getting, she's getting closer and closer, and naturally he's getting more excited. Oh, good, she's coming. When I get within about halfway, then I'll pick up my setup spot, and then I'll let it go from there. I'll usually go maybe a little bit quieter or so and see, let it go. And most of the time, that gobber is going to already starting to work his way in. But this is kind of like a little demonstration of what a walking yelp sounds like of a hen who's walking from one place to another. Deadly call. Painting a picture, creating a scenario. That's exactly what we want to do in the woods. Zachary Goss, I have my diaphragms in now trying to copy it. Denny, Devin Duncan, with your many hours of listening to hands, why does a gobble relate to the sound that a, that a wing bone call produces to real hand? What makes the sound of a wing bone call effective? Absolutely excellent question, Devin. There's something about the throatiness of a, of a, a trumpet type call or a wing bone type call. You know, I've heard many guys do wing bones, and I've, I, I mean, I have good, some friends that really, really do a good, but when you're standing next to someone doing a wing bone call, it's almost like, uh, I'm not so sure about that. But you get a little bit of distance away, and there's a throatiness in a wing bone call that's very, very similar to a hen and especially a young gobber. I've heard young gobbers in the woods, and on some of my recordings that I've heard from young gobbers, that there is no other call 
that could duplicate the sound of some young gobbler yelping than what I would expect, what I call uh, like a wingbone sound. It's that yonky, yonky, uh, that bugle type sound. And you know, the big thing about a wingbone call, if you think about it, is when we're using a wingbone call, it's almost like a throat, uh, the throat of a turkey. You know, you, the sound starts at a certain point and it goes on out through the wingbone, and by the time it goes on out through, it's got that chunky chesty, that chunky chesty. And there's a, something about a chunk that a turkey just recognizes. And I've got a lot of recordings that I've heard over the years where that were very, you know, you wouldn't think it until you really listen closely and how it relates to a wingbone call. And that's why a wingbone call, especially on young gobber sounds, especially in the fall, that wing, them, them trumpet calls or wingbone calls, you know, there's a sound that gobbers, old gobbers especially. A lot of guys used to say an old gobber sounds like a bagel when they really get going, and they do. Some old that bugly type, that's almost like a baying bugle in the distance. I um, mean, and you know, my buddy Bob Podash and them we used to have this years ago, and I'm sure many of you probably seen it before. What we called a, a cow horn call. Uh, it was made out of a short wing bone, and then it had a long tube, and then had a cow horn on the end. And if you learned to use that call, it had a unique chunk chunk sound into it. It was so unlike any other call, but gobbers, a lot of gobbers, especially in the fall season, really responded to that. And that's one thing about a wingbone call. You know, you don't, you know, when a wingbone call is close to you, it doesn't sound, eh, it's not, maybe, you know, you have maybe reservations, but when you get out in the woods and get a little bit of distance, I'm telling you what, it's a realistic sounding call. Scotland Jenny Manning, gonna have to watch this over and over now. <laughs> yeah, I know I talk too much, I know. Jim Martin, great walking yelp, Denny, love the video, thanks. Ben, do you consider walking yelps? Same as a plain yelp. Nope. I don't. No, it's not. I really don't. A plain yelp is basically, there's something different about a walking yelp. Remember I talked about the walking yelp. It has kind of like an up and down effect. It's like a yelp, 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 If you're, you know, you could, you could watch in a field. You have a flock of turkeys in a field. If you see a hen kind of walking off and then all of a sudden she walks back, when she comes back, listen closely to her. She's going to be doing some of them walking yelps. Like, yelp, 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 yelp. There's kind of a roll to it, where, where a plain yelp is kind of like it's different. There's a lot of different plain yelps out there. we got questioning type yelps, uh, yelps that turkeys do, uh, that a hen will do when she's talking to a gobber to tell a gobber that, you know, the one and two note yelps, that a gobber, tell a gobber that, hey, I'm over here. To give, it, to give you an example, we'll go right into that. Let's play now uh, a, what, what I consider uh, from, it's kind of a talk from a, a hen. Let's see here. It's an over here what I call an overhear uh, short yelps. And what it is, it's a, it's a sound that a hen does to tell a gobbler that, hey, I'm over here. It's only usually a, maybe one or two note yelps. And we hear this a lot in the woods, especially in the predators now, and that's all the, some hens have to do. You know, a gobbler, I've had many situations where I've called a hen away from a gobbler, and they'll come in looking for me, looking for me, the other hen, and that gobbler actually will start gobbling back and forth, wondering where the hen is. And, this, and a lot of times what those hens will do, and they'll only do this, they'll just like, no. No, no. It's question. They're questioning yelps. Let's take a listen. What that sounds like. If I can find it. If you listen closely, you hear the gobble respond to this hand. They're usually only two, three notes. These are important calls.
I'm going to let this play through so you can hear a couple of different hands doing that, that same type of yelping. Because that's important stuff. Now here's another hand. We just left the gobbler not long ago, and he, she's just telling the gobbler that I'm here. I'm just over here. You know, years ago, a lot of the old-time turkey hunters used to say that a hen had a mating yelp. And really, they don't. Basically, the only mating yelp of a, of a turkey is the gobble of a wild turkey when he's trying to attract a hen. But years ago, and you can read this a lot, too, and I've heard it many, many times, that a lot of the guys said that, well, a hen has a mating yelp. But, and they weren't really incorrect in saying that they didn't, because a hen really doesn't have a mating yelp. But what they were referring to, and I believe what they were referring to, are those exact sounds we just heard right there. You know, a lot of guys will say, well, that's all you got to do. Maybe one or two or three yelps. And that is a deadly call. Because if you do that correctly, a gobbler knows that a hen, that two or three, hens do that all the time. When they're looking for another gobbler, when they're looking for a gobbler, they're actually, they're saying something. And if you listen closely, at the end, when they're talking like that, they, they absolutely uh, emphasize the last note or so that gives it a question type sound. It's like, nyok, 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 nyok. If, and that's and that's hugely important. I just talked to Pat Strausser about that, how important that was, and he agreed. Basically, you know, that emphasis, those those pitch changes and things like that, it's like you and I talk. When I'm talking to you here now, you hear me changing my voice. I'm going back and forth, quicker and slower, whatever it is. Turkeys are doing exactly the same thing. And even a slight one and two note yelps, that actually, you can actually, those two and three note yelps, are very, very important calls to use. And sometimes that's the only sound you have to do because gobblers, they, they hear that all the time. That's what hens do. Greg Hellman, can you overcall to a gobbler? Absolutely. I think I already said that. Sure you can overcall to a gobbler. Uh, if you do, it's difficult to get back. But, you know, you kind of play it by ear. I mean, every gobbler, you got to take his temperature. It's best to start out as much as possible on the light side, and I do that. I mean, I don't like to really call, as you probably know, I don't like to call loud, I don't like to call aggressively, and I really have to, because there are times for it. But I like to kind of take their temperature. You know, usually start out with light stuff, maybe just like them couple, two or three yelps like that. If they respond well to that, I don't have to do any more. I don't have to do a whole lot more than that. You know what, to be on the safe side, it's better, sometimes better, to call less than it is more. But if you know what to say to a gobbler, and you have an idea, and you've studied and done your homework, you know, being able to get into a conversation, that's what it's all about. Every situation is different. You've got to be able to reach into that big bag of tricks, and that bag of tricks gets fuller and fuller every year from you paying attention every time you've been out there with gobbers and hands. Every experience just adds to your bag of tricks. You just reach in and grab and try something else. There is no one certain thing. As I said, turkeys don't know what they're going to do in the next three seconds. They're so unpredictable. They don't know what they're going to do, and that's what keeps us going. Sean Helen, are hung-up gobblers using the silent approach? Do you use any other natural tactics to break him? Scratching, wing beats, excellent. You know, you want to make it sound like as natural as possible. Remember, we're not out there trying to attract the turkey. We're trying to be a turkey. We're trying to get into a conversation with him, whatever it might take. Sometimes those physical things, scratching the leaves, what's he expect to hear? 
He expects to hear that scratching in the leaves, those little light sounds that turkeys do when they're walking. And he, as long as that turkey's far enough away, he might be down over a ridge tree or whatever it is, those footsteps in the leaves, any one of those things add to it. Wing beats. Uh, many times a hen, when he stretches their wings, you can take your hat and, you know, many times, how many times you see this? A turkey does, uh, hens especially, you'll see this a lot. A hen, what I do is kind of like a yawn type response. One hen will stretch her wings, and next thing you know, if you're in a group of 10 or 11 different hens in there, you can almost bet that if one hen stretches her wings, there's going to be four or five others that just follow them. It's almost like somebody yawning. When you see somebody yawn, you can't help it, you're going to yawn too. And you see that a lot with turkeys too. It's, it's really unique with a hen especially. And gobblers do the same thing. One bird will stretch your wings, and the next one will stretch your wings, another one. I mean, it's, it's really neat. It's really neat to see that. And if you can incorporate those sounds that he, that gobbler, as soon as he hears it, might only take that one little thing to really come across. You know, it brings me to a point, a dangerous thing that happened to me a couple of years ago up in Potter County. It was in the fall season. You know, when I get into a gobbler, when I get into a situation, I turn, I mean, I just turn crazy. I kind of go right into it. I mean, I'm, I shot out everything else, and I'm trying to figure out exactly what might happen. I was, I was, I had a, a flock breakup one time on a, on a bench, and I had the birds fly out all across the hill. And make this long, make this long story short, I, I started talking to them. There was a couple of birds talking to me down on the bench, but I couldn't get them up over. So I decided, well, I think if I went up there and just moved up a little bit closer to them, so I started doing feeding calls. Those little fight, fight, you know, those hut per hut feeding pars and a few yelps once in a while, scratching the leaves. And I was on my hands and knees in camouflage, walking around, scratching the leaves. And all of a sudden, I just thought to myself, whoa, here I am in Pennsylvania where lit rifles are legal. I'm in big open woods, and I got this cold chill on my back. Wow, I, you know, I get so engrossed in a situation of trying to become a real turkey that I actually put my life in danger. I didn't know that there was somebody 150 yards away that could maybe see something that maybe looked like a turkey and unfortunately could have pulled the trigger on me. So any one of those sounds are very important. Anything you do that's natural to the woods, I mean, how could it go wrong? Jim Martin, do you believe a gobbler can become what is commonly called call shy? Sure. Somewhat. Again, it depends on, on what, you know, what you're saying to him, on what he's heard before. You know, most of the gobblers, what we call call shy is... A gobbler is actually where he, he might have seen a guy calling. What happens is, a lot of people don't realize that there's a lot of gobblers in the woods. And if every gobbler gobbled, you'd be amazed on what's out there. You know, usually in most cases, there's only one or two alpha gobblers or whatever. They're the ones that basically, basically are the ones doing the gobbling. But if every gobbler gobbled, you'd be surprised. There could be 12, 13 gobblers out there. They're what I like to call satellite gobblers. They're the ones that are quiet, but they're interested. All these gobblers are interested in the hens in the spring. Most of them are interested, and they're curious. And a lot of times, you know, there's a good chance that those gobblers are going to come in quietly. So here's what happens. Most guys, especially with this run-and-gun kind of stuff, they'll stop and they'll call a little bit, and they don't know that, that they're getting attention. They're actually causing gobblers. They're getting the gobblers' attention, and they're quiet, and they're coming in quietly. And when a gobbler's coming in quietly and you're walking there calling, he automatically sees you calling, he sees a guy, and that's what kind of like where we get kind of like the call-shy gobblers. You know, but... You know, and sure, in some cases they can become call shy, but there are ways of overcoming that for sure, Jim. Good question. Brian Keith Davis, when a gobbler is henned up, I mock the boss hen, more aggressively and louder than her, kind of piss her off. When she comes in, gobbler usually follows her. Maybe. Sometimes. I said that in my challenging pressure gobblers. That's a technique that works a lot of times. I mean, it can. Remember when I talked about a gobbler cutting you off? Remember the Ben Lee thing? Where a gobbler cuts you off. Well, we can reverse that same situation where a lot of times, I'll actually, when a gobbler gobbles to me, I'll jump right in on top of his gobbler. Or a hen, if a hen's calling, I'll jump right in on top of her. And, that ups, and a lot of times, in some cases, that'll upset the hen. 
When I jump in on top of her, remember I talked about before, a hen usually never tops over top, calls over top of another. You're actually violating her when you do that somewhat. And she gets that, and sometimes you'll just, it might be just enough. But in most, a lot of times what I'll usually do, I usually start off slow. I'll kind of take her temperature too. Because sometimes if you become too aggressive with a hen, you can actually turn her off. And I've done this a lot, become too aggressive. I'll start cutting to certain hens or whatever it might be. When you start cutting and calling to them too aggressively, you'll turn them away from you and they'll go away from you and take the gobbler away from you. So it's kind of a, it's an iffy 50-50 thing. you got to play, again, I keep saying this over and over again, you got to take the temperature of the situation. A lot of it comes from experience. Chip Phil Cole, once a gobbler cuts you, cuts you off with a gobble, should you stop calling? No, not necessarily. If a gobbler, cut, if a gobbler cuts me off, he tells me that he's interested in me. So I might just change my call a little bit. I'm not going to keep calling to him over and over exactly the same way. Well, a hen isn't going to do that all the time. Once I hear, if, if, I, if a real hen knows that a gobbler is interested in it, and he, she wants him to come to him, which is basically reversing the nature, when she wants him to come to her, him to her she, abs she will absolutely change her call a little bit too. She knows she piqued the interest of the gobbler. Now she's going to go a little bit more, maybe just a couple of those single and double note yelps, whatever we were talking about before. Uh, she might be feeding a little bit. She'll change it when she, when a hen sticks her head down on the ground. She changes her voice. Her voice will change when she lifts her head up and puts it down. If you can incorporate those sounds, those natural sounds, they're all important. And I hope I answered that question for you. I mean, I could, we could go a long ways on that one too. Brandon, is there more versatility, Brandon, in versatility in a mouth call or friction call, or just use what is comfortable? Excellent question, Brandon. You know, I've heard a lot of guys, you know, even in calling contests, many in the calling contests who kind of like discourage with friction calls, but, you know, a guy, a good caller on a friction call is hard to beat. I mean, friction calls are difficult to do. They are difficult. You know, one of the main things, especially for me, a friction call, what makes it so difficult is, is that when I'm calling a mouth call, I can feel this. I can actually express my feeling through my body, through myself. But when you're using a friction call, you've got the call out of the end of your hands. And it's so difficult to display or incorporate that feeling through your hands into the call. And that's what's really difficult about a friction call. But a good friction call caller, if he does it the right way, I'll tell you what. Like a box call, for example. A box call has killed many, many turkeys for centuries. I mean, they are some of the most realistic sounds in the right hands. And I've heard a lot of some guys, when they use a box call, they sound like a guy you and a box call. But you get a good man with a box call, and a talented man with a box call, and you separate him at 40 or 50 yards over a bank. I get that little bit of separation, and I'll tell you what, that's about as close as you're ever going to fool me to a real hand. I mean, there's something about a friction call. My wife hates friction calls. When I was in the Masters years ago, we used to have a friction. We used to use. We have to use friction calls. And I used to practice a lot with friction calls. I don't use friction as much anymore because I'm a cameraman now. But when I did friction calls, my wife used to go crazy because it hurt her ears. When you're in an enclosed area, that's what's tough about a, call, a friction call in a calling contest. You know, when I used to use a friction call, I used to use a D.D. Adams slate when I yelped on a friction call, and I used to. You know, I, I, I tried a lot of different techniques to try to get into that harshness in a friction call. Uh, sometimes a friction call is loud and harsh and it just hits you. Well, when you, especially when you're in an enclosed area, like on a stage type situation. What I used to do was put a cloth, different type of cloth, could be fell or rag, whatever. I used to lay the DD Adams slate right on that, on that cloth. And that's how I used to yelp with it. And it kind of like softened it. It gave it a little bit of a, a throaty, a natural throatiness to it. And it took that, that kind of like harshness out of the friction call. But a good guy with a friction call is hard to beat. You know, you, I just talked to a guy earlier this morning about a slate call. 
You know, you get a guy with a slate call sitting by a tree at 25, 30 yards doing some real light under-the-breath type yelp on a slate call. I'm telling you what, that is so exact turkey. I mean, there is nothing like that. I mean, it's really, really good. So those friction calls, are they're hard to use. It takes a lot of practice, but if you're good with them, I'll tell you what, they are some of the most absolutely realistic calls. Zachary Gross, if you don't have much property to hunt and a turkey stays on another person's property, what is the best call for that situation? you got to read that. I mean, you know, like I said, my buddy years ago used to tell me, he said, golfers remember, turkey has two legs. Let them walk. Let them come. You know, and what he, was, what he usually referred in that situation is, try not to get too close. You know, as a cameraman, I usually don't get too close when I'm filming turkeys. I like to be able to see them as a distance. And, and if you say, learn to say some of the right things to them or kind of catch their attention, uh, you can, you know, they've got two legs. I like to let them come to me. So if I can, I'll get maybe in a, you know, in a situation like that where the golfer's in, a, in, a, in another property, you know, and you, you, know, you might hate to say you're going to call them out of someone else's property, but it can be done if you say the right thing to them. You know, in every situation is different. Lay of the land has a big play, a role there. Is he in a pasture? Is he in a woodside or whatever? Does he hang out with hens in the bottoms? Whatever. But yeah, you can call, heck, you can, you can call turkey anywhere. I've called turkeys for many times, many years. I've called them across highways, railroad tracks. Uh, cricks, anything. I've called a couple gobbers, you know, three quarters of a mile away. We had to cross a railroad track, a, a big river, and, and a, a super highway. It come three quarters of a mile away. Sure, I might have been able to, once I got his temperature and I, I you know, worked with him, some different calls and actually piqued his ear and piqued his interest, I was able to cock those birds in. But, you know, I don't know if there is an uncallable gobber out there. You know, patience comes into play. It might take you a few days or whatever it is, but you know, I can't stress enough, as I said, as I got older and I'm a cameraman now, and I can't stress how important patience is. Patience is everything to turkey hunting to me. I mean, I, you know, one of my, one of, you know, year, years ago I had a good friend, he's, he's, he's gone long gone now, passed away, and one of the best turkey hunters I've known. He wasn't a very good caller. He wasn't a very good caller at all, but he was the most patient person I ever had, ever met. And what he would do, he would go to an area where he located a gobbler, and he would only make one or two calls. He'd make up a little spot. He'd get into a good setup spot. He'd make one or two calls to let the gobber know that he was there and he never made another sound. And he'd sit there for three or four hours, maybe five hours until the end of the day. But you cannot believe the spurs that that guy's got over the ears. Patience kills turkeys. But patience, it's, it's a hard thing. You know, but as you get older, you learn patience. You learn how important it is because I can tell you so many situations where I've seen, by just being, not being able to jump up with all my camera equipment, how many times these satellite gobblers I was talking about before, these gobblers that are out there that don't gobbler, gobble, that are coming in to investigate. And if you sit tight long enough and keep an open eye without any movement, because remember, a gobbler is looking all the time. He might just stick his head up 50 yards away up over the ridge, and he's looking for that hen that he heard calling, and, a, and a, a turkey's head is unique, an eyeball is unique, and it, it, their, their eyeball is basically only about a half inch from the top of their head, and that's all they have to lift up over the top of that hill, and there's a good chance you're never even going to see it. And once he sees you moving, looking around, he just drops it down, you didn't even know he was there. But if you were sitting tight and just moving your eyeballs, patience really, you can really, really do a good job with, well, I mean, really kills a lot of gobbers. But it's a learned thing. It's something you have to acquire. Doug Brandenburg, the latex in your mouth call seem much thinner than any others. Have you always preferred the thinner latex? Yes. Uh, I do because for me, I can do the lighter sounds. I don't have to really lean on a call. As I said, I don't like to call, I don't like to lean on a call loud, uh, hardly. 
I can I, I can really change pitches and tones with the with the with the lighter latex, the thinner latex in my calls, and that's kind of like why I stick with them. Remember, as I said before, the secret, especially for me, anyhow, and I'm not that I'm doing it right, but I when I record some of my stuff and when I'm getting it right, it's coming from down in, and that's really a hard thing to do. You got to practice that. You got to really practice that to start the sounds from down in and let them work on up through. Greg Hellman, I shot late season gobbers. What would you tell? What would you tell turkey hunters on hunting late season? It's an excellent time, especially for the big spurred gobbers. Those gobbers, those big spurred gobbers, are usually the alpha males. They're the ones that had the hens early in the season. They're the ones that don't call. They're the ones that don't even gobble a lot of times. You know, I've seen a lot of old gobbers that hardly ever make a sound. And one of the reasons they don't make a sound, these older gobbers who have a harem, is that they know it's like elk. The more they talk, the more they gobble, they actually attract young gobbers or groups of young gobbers who can become a pain for them. You know, I've seen a lot of young gobbers who actually run old gobbers off. So why would an old gobber out there who has four, five, six, eight, ten hens around him, why would he be gobbling anything? He knows that he don't have to gobble. And when he gobbles, that voice, that gobble gets him into trouble. It's attracting other gobbers in an area. And then when he gets four or five gobbers, then he's got to deal with them. So that's really something to, to consider there, too. So, okay, favorite call brand? My own. <laughs> I don't know how else to answer that. You know, uh, I use a slate call, one of the only friction calls I use, because as I said, as I'm a cameraman, one of the friction calls I use is a simple call. It's made by Primos. It's called the Old Betsy. My son, uh, Cody, used to use it many times, many, you know, years ago when he was younger. It was, you know, when he was learning to use a mouth call. He used a, uh, this old Betsy. And I used to listen to him from a little bit of distance. And really, I was impressed with some of the sounds. You know, I use that a lot for cutting. Uh, I can really get a decent cut out of, the, out of this uh, uh, old Betsy sound. It might not, I'm sure when coming through this phone, it's not going to come out well. But you can really, really reach out with this. Primos makes that old Betsy right now, and I actually think that Mike Batty, and we all know Mike Batty, I think he's the actual originator of that call. And that's a good call. It's a slate. I like slate. Everybody has their own preference. And if I use a friction call, that's one of the only friction calls I use as a cameraman, basically because I can't. Once I get that camera on my shoulder and I don't use a tripod, I've got to stick to my mouth calls, and that's what I've been used to over the years anyhow. But that, that cutting, if I'm going to walk through the woods and I'm trying to get distance on my cutting, I can really do it as close as possible with that type of call right there. Derek Clark, what's your favorite county in the hunt in Pennsylvania? Railroaders Paradise is watching total respect to you. <laughs> they got, these guys have a, I mean, they're probably some of the best turkey, or best hunters up in uh, in Potter County. I mean, they really, really are successful every year. And they post their pictures in a little store up there. And I kind of like stop in every year just to see how them guys do. Great bunch of guys. Uh, Potter County is an excellent county. I mean, uh, it's changed a little bit over the years. The turkey's a little bit quiet, and one of the reasons is we got so many predators up there. You know, years ago I used to go up there and hear 20, 25 different gobbers from some of the ridge tops, but the turkeys aren't talking as much as they did. And one of the reasons is, I mean, you can't believe how the, I mean, we've got fishers to deal with, we've got bobcats, coyotes, doing these roost scenes, doing these roost scenes. Now you can't believe how many times, you know, whenever turkey you know, turkeys are talking back and forth in the roost, and how many times I've seen fishers come in, I've seen coyotes coming in, bobcats sneaking in. Just last year, I was underneath twelve old gobbers, and they were talking. There was a couple of young gobbers in that group too, and they were talking pretty good. They were yelping and gobbling back and forth, and they were really carrying on good. And I was getting some very nice audio out of it, and some good video too. And all of a sudden, off to my right, I heard a red, uh, a red squirrel chattering. 
And I knew that something was going on over there. And I really should have paid more attention, but I didn't. All of a sudden, I looked up, and I seen one of those old gobblers. He had his head up stretched, and he was looking down. I knew something was up. So I kind of turned my head a little bit, and sure enough, here comes one of the biggest fishers I've ever seen before. And he comes within 15 yards of me, coming through the woods, and he was coming in to those gobblers. He was actually coming in, and he was looking up at those gobblers in the tree when he was coming by. I was able to get the camera on him real quick as he went on by me. But this fisher problem, we've got a lot of them now in Pennsylvania, and they are an absolute unbelievable I mean, I kind of like them to wolverines. They're not scared of anything. The first one I ever seen when I was in a bow hunt, I was 30 feet up in the tree, 25 feet up in the tree. I was deer hunting, a uh, bow hunt. I seen one going across the ground. I didn't know what it was. It was in a pine bottom. I was watching it going. I figured, that must be a fisher. So I squeaked at him like you do to a fox. And as soon as I squeaked at him, it wasn't seven seconds, and that fisher was right at my feet, right below my feet. He had no, there was no, no fear at all. And I've seen this over the years now. And calling the hands and calling the gobbers, I've had many times I've had these fishers coming in. So if it's happening to me and you once in a while, just think how much is happening to real turkeys. So up in Potter County now, it's, it's a little difficult now. We're not seeing, but that's a beautiful, beautiful area, as you know. I'm sure you know. Cameron, Potter, we've got the big mountainsides. There's, I mean, there's nothing like being up there on the side of a mountain or on a hilltop in Potter County early on a spring morning and waiting for a gobbler to gobble or trying to get something going. I mean, there's nothing like it. But I like a lot of areas. I mean, you know, I travel, like I said, I've got the opportunity to travel a lot of places throughout Pennsylvania filming and, uh, and studying the birds. I mean, I don't have any, I guess if I had one choose one place to choose, for sure, that's the best place. And even though the turkeys might not talk as much. And the hens up in that area don't talk. Like I said, I'm really interested in the hens now, recording hens. The hens up there don't talk as much because they know that when they open their voice, when they open their mouth, they're attracting predators. Jordan Sloan, yeah, fishers are a big problem here in New York. I filmed a fisher come with a turkey egg in its mouth in a spring hunt here in New York. One time I was talking to a guy up in the Erie area. This is really a new story. We got talking about fishers. And I told him about the fisher experiences I had. And he said, let me tell you about what happened to my buddy. He said, it was early one morning. And I told this to a few guys. It was early one morning. He said, I was sitting by a tree. He said, and I looked up and I seen a hen up in a tree about 40 feet up. She was roosted off about 15 yards away from the base of the tree, 40 feet up in the tree. He said, and it was just getting light, and the hen was kind of hunched over, sleeping. He said he seen this fisher coming across the ground, and didn't that fisher go right up the side of that base of that tree, got all the way up 40 feet, walked out, jumped out on the edge of that, climbed out on the edge of that, that limb, and actually jumped on that hen and rode her to the ground. 40 feet, he rode her to the ground and killed her. You know, I told that to a story uh, to a guy out in Nebraska or some uh, western state, and he says, heck, that's happening out here all the time. So the predator population is really growing. It's, it's having a definite effect. When a turkey... There's always something after them from the time, even before they're actually hatched out of the egg. From the time that egg first appears until the time they die, every second of their life, there's something after them. So you wonder why some of them are difficult. Brett Bowes, as a friction caller, the cluck and purr of a hen, should the cluck be a bit more aggressive than the purr or should be the same tone as the purr? Depends on what call you're doing. You know, when a hen's coming into you, you've, we've probably all heard this before, they have a unique sound, what I like to call, you know, we heard a cluck and purr. You know, it's a unique thing. When a, when a hen gets to a certain area where he knows, or she knows, that she be, should be able to see that other hen that's talking to her, she'll go into this, it's kind of an aggressive thing. It's almost like, where are you type thing. You know, you can lean on a little bit, but you've got to be careful. you got to play the situation. What I like to do, I try to be careful when I got a hen coming into me. To try, I try to keep her talking as much as possible because sometimes I can overtalk her. Now, if I get too aggressive with her, and if I get a little bit too strong with her, I've actually closed mouth a lot of hens. I found out over the last couple of years, especially when I'm talking to hens, and that's what I'm really after. When I'm talking to hens, if I go more quiet or whatever it is, what happens is it just kind of piques the curiosity of the hen. It's like where's she at, and sometimes they'll start to call a little bit more. 
So every situation is a little bit different, but a hen who's responding or coming into a gobbler or another hen has a unique cluck and purr that they do. Uh, there's a lot of YouTube videos out there have it if you pay attention to it. That's a unique call and it's really a really good call. It's, it's one of the sounds that the birds expect to hear in that situation. Jay Lindemuth, can you just do a series of yelping on one of your calls? Thanks, awesome stuff. I think I already did, but I'll just do another one, I guess. As you can see, I try to, everyone probably does this. My calls especially, they've got to work properly, the latexes can't be stuck. I mean, there's, you, you know, you got to be able to work with each one. I rely on each one of those latexes working with each other. But here's kind of like a couple of just plain yelps of a hand. First one's kind of be like an under-the-breath type yelp. And she gets a little bit more excited. I'm pitching that hand. Picture looking, I'm pitching her listening. James Grimm, do you call a lot when Tom's on the roost? You gotta take their temperature, Jim. Uh, Usually I don't. Remember the tree call I talked about before? If it's early in the morning, sometimes that tree call is all you got to do. See what happens when you call a lot to a gobbler on a roost. In a lot of cases, you got you to remember now, when that gobbler's up there 30, 40 feet on a roost, and they usually pick those roosts for certain reasons, one of the reasons is, reasons, and you'll see this especially in our areas of mountains of Pennsylvania, or what, I'm sure throughout the country, a gobbler roosts in specific areas for a reason. You know, a lot of times, you can almost tell. I can pick a topographical map up and almost tell where a gobbler might be roosted. A gobbler will usually roost where he's best heard, and where his voice carries out the most for the most distance, where most hens can hear him. I mean, that's just common sense. So, you get a gobbler, and he's up on a roost 20, 30, 40 feet. He's got the advantage up there. He can see all over. And he knows that when a hen's calling to him, I talked about this earlier, when a gobbler responds to his call and he knows that that hen's answering her and the reason she's answering him is she's telling him she's excited. So what's he going to do? Why is he going to fly out of the roost? Why is he going to go after her? Why is he going to risk? I'm just going to stay up here where I've got the advantage, where I can see the best. And as long as you keep calling to him, the more aggressive you get, the more he thinks you are. You're really excited. Soon later you're going to come over here. I'm gonna, I've seen gobblers stay in, stay in a tree for two hours. And never come out of that tree, wanting that hen to come to them. So what I usually do in a case like that is I'll just let him know that I'm there, and I'll let him usually make the next move. In most cases, not every case, depends on the gobbler. But you know that's your safest bet. You know, patience plays; it kills gobblers. Patience kills gobblers. A lot of guys become impatient. Ah, they, you know, it's that thing like, oh, I know there's other gobblers over here, or maybe I, you know, and really that really really works against you sometimes. But I can't stress patience how important that is to a good turkey hunter. Derek Stallman, holy smokes, that's turkey. I don't know what that means. Maybe the call. Okay, thanks, Derek. How important is a key key? It's really, it is. You know, in the, in the fall, it's the lost call. But I've heard many hens, and I'm sure many of you have. You know, we're seeing a lot now. You know, a lot of hens in the springs will key key, too, under many different circumstances. I've heard hens, me and Scott talked about this. Scott Ellis talked about this a couple weeks ago. You know, in a fighting group, I've heard many hens were fighting in an agitated group, fighting back and forth. 
you know, you'll hear a hen key key, and you think, well, what's she key keying for? She's not lost. She's got 20 other birds around here, or whatever it is. You know, sometimes it's just kind of like birds kind of get overwhelmed, you know, especially in a fight situation. They'll just start key keying, or whatever it is, and they'll just keep key keying. You know, a hen walking through the woods in the spring sometimes. She may not be lost. She may be with another bird, and she'll be key keying. Or a single bird key keying in the spring. A key key is a good, a key key run is a good call to use in the spring. Matter of fact, let's listen to, uh, Let's listen to just a couple of them that were recorded in the springtime to get an idea. You don't necessarily hear that urgency that we heard in the fall season when the birds are lost in some cases. And all hens do it. If they're going to key key in the spring, there's a lot of variations in there. But let's, let's listen to a couple of them. like to let that play a little bit longer, but kind of running out of time here, and I don't want to use it all up on a key key, but the key key is a good call to use in the spring. I mean, it is. You know, I've, I can remember one time up in Potter County in Cameron County, I think it was. I mean, I couldn't get gobbers to gobble. I couldn't do anything, and as soon as I started doing key key, I had a gobber gobble within 150 yards away, and within 10 minutes or so, I had him right on top of me, and he just kind of piqued his interest. You know, gobbers, and I'm convinced of this, and I'd like to spend a whole lot of time talking about this, especially about the language of turkeys, but I am totally convinced in all the years of studying turkeys, and again, this is just my opinion, but I do believe that every turkey in the woods knows each other just like you and I know each other's buddies and friends. We know their voices. They know their voices. Every gobbler knows each other. Every hen knows each other in a specific area. And, I mean, there's a lot to that. I can't tell you how many times I've been humbled by wild turkeys, by wild hens, who I've been into a place and I've done some of my most, what I thought was most realistic calls. I've had an actual hen come through the area, and she starts cutting in the open, and four gobblers gobble in the valley. I mean, that's incredible, but... The reason that usually happens is every one of those gobblers know that hen. They recognize her. And you get a gobbler who's been around a hen for a while, she know, or he knows her voice. I mean, he knows what she sounds like. So that's, that's why it's so important in your calling to learn as many calls as you can to try. And that's what I'm trying to do now. I'm trying to learn young hens, old hens, whatever it is. Because you just might hit the right pitch, the right tone, that just piques a gobbler who remembers the sound like, oh, wow, I remember her, I know her. And that's the one he's going to go right, go right after. So that's why it's so important to know many different sounds as much as possible. You know, I didn't talk at all about gobbling, and that's, you know, I'm sure probably I didn't see any of it, but you know, I'm sure that some many of you guys under probably asked about uh, about gobbles. But a gobble can be a really, really good call. You know, I use uh, it can be also a dangerous call. I like to use a tube type call. You know, there's a lot of different different. Uh, calls out there. Some guys use their mouth calls. Joe Slayton, who's a champion, who's, you know, the world champion uh, gobble caller right now. Jed Parrish, uh, many of the guys are really absolutely excellent gobbler. Gobbler can do an excellent gobble, but that gobble isn't really, I've really had some really good luck with that gobble. You know, especially in the latter part of the season. You incorporate that sometimes with gobbler yelps or, you know, I'll set up a situation. And I do this a lot. I set up situations. You know, maybe the gobblers aren't gobbling that morning. 
Well, that, that doesn't mean anything to me. I know that they're still out there. And I'll set up a situation. I may get to an open area. Uh, if I want to use a decoy, maybe I'll set up a hen or so in an open area like this. And then I'll make some natural sounds, maybe a few feeding calls, maybe a few walking yelps through the area. I might even gobble a couple of times, just letting the birds know in that area that there's a group of birds over there talking. And then I'll go back and get in my setup spot, and this is where patient comes in, and I'll just sit tight and just let it go. You cannot believe, in setting a situation up like that, how much luck I've had over that. Again, patience is the key, though, but setting up a situation is really, really huge. Sometimes I'll walk a whole ridge line, whatever it is, talking like a, an excited hen looking for, or, or just an interested hen looking for gobbers. And then I'll, I'll maybe just kind of work back maybe 50 or 60 or 80 yards, whatever, and then I'll just go quiet and let it go. Because I know that other birds, the birds in that area, they've heard that. They're interested in it. Some of these satellite gobbers aren't gobbling. There's a good chance that they're going to come in quietly sneaking. So setting up an area is really important. I use a, t a little tube type call. It's just kind of a call that I use. I've had really good luck with it. I don't know if I can do it here. I'll probably blow the speakers out of, that, <clears throat> out of that phone with it. But I've had really good luck with this with this gobble tube type call. You know, uh, you can learn to do it on your mouth calls, whatever it is. My boy does a really good job with his throat. I used to do it a lot with my throat too. But one thing about your throat, the same with hen calling, is your throat can be very fickle. You know, some of the most realistic hen sounds by far, and I'll argue anyone with this, is by the natural throat. Somebody can do a natural throat of a real hen is some of the most realistic there is. But just kind of just a couple gobbles on a tube call. And it, like I said, a gobble is a hard call to do realistically. do in here. As I said, the microphone's probably not picking up, but I've had really, really good luck with that call in the woods many times, especially in a lot of part of the season when the birds are starting to get back together, the gobbers getting back together. It's, it's kind of a hard, hard thing to do. Well, it's nine o'clock. My wife told me, she says, don't you go past a couple hours, and she knows me. I talk too much. Thank God I have a good wife. Can you imagine? We've been together for 40 years now, and I don't know how she put up with me. I mean, she hears this stuff all day and every day. And you got to have a good wife. I guarantee you that there's nothing, there's nothing like it. She knew 40 years ago when I first met her that I was turkey crazy. I don't know how she does it. If she was, you know, I can't imagine me switching it. And she was maybe, you know, an, another animal caller. She'd probably drive me crazy the way I call, you know, the way I call turkey. If she was doing something else or onto something else. But she just, most most patient person it is. I don't know how she puts up with me. And, uh, she told me, she says, I know that when you get going on this. And she's right. Once I get talking, I get talking too much. I just kept... I can't help myself. I just love turkeys. I love being with them. I love enjoying them. Love learning from them. So I'm kind of, kind of got all. I wish I could have answered all. And I really apologize for not being able to answer so many of the questions that have been going through there. As I said, but one thing I want to leave you with before I before I end this program. One of the most important thing is is safety. I want to I want to really touch on this. I used to do this in my seminars, you know, because it's probably the most important thing. We all got to be search hunters, you know. When I was doing my seminars, many times. I look out across the audience, three, four hundred people, whatever it is, and as soon as I'd come to and I'd start talking about safety, I could actually see a couple of guys would actually start to turn me off. And they were usually the most experienced and the older guys. It's almost like, and you know, it's, I kind of like would wonder about that. You know, they say, well, yeah, heck, I've been doing this for 25, 30 years. I know all about safety. But really, you know, it's been proven that, 
it's not always the younger hunters, the less experienced hunters, that are the ones that are causing the accidents. Or actually, I mean, sometimes it's it's it, it can be the experience. I mean, the experienced hunters that do it. You see, turkey hunting is so exciting. We can become as I as I talked about before. We can really get involved with it in the excitement of the sport, and it'll cause us sometimes to do things that we would normally ever do. You know, they did a study, and I talked about this earlier. You know, one time for many years in my seminars, they did a college study one time, and it was about a deer hunting accident. And they had a lot of professors and a lot of, you know, a lot of people that really studied it. How could you possibly, you know, shoot another human being? A human being doesn't look like any animal by far. But they learned, and it's really interesting, they learned that we have what we call a memory bank. And we kind of like, this memory bank is something we draw from. And what they said is, the more experience you have with a certain subject, so let's say that we're with turkeys and we live with turkeys like I do, we study them all the time, it's so much easier for us who've been around turkeys a long time, it's so much easier for us to see and hear something in that excited state, and it, we actually draw from our memory bank, and we start to see things that really aren't there. You know, I've said this over and over again. I've been in situations that I've seen things that I, wow, that, yeah, that's got to be, oh, maybe it is. And then all of a sudden it turned, it turned to be a guy or whatever it is. I mean, who knows? You know, who knows? You know, there's so many situations that I could talk right here. We could tell you exactly different examples of something that can happen. It's like, wow, I never thought about that. The one thing I've always cautioned everyone is before you, and I said this in my first video, identify your target. We've all heard about it. In every class we've been to, we all know that we've got to positively identify our target one time exactly. We've got to identify it. But let's take that a step further. If we identify our target two distinct times, there should never, ever be a turkey hunting accident, ever. You know, you got a gobbler coming in or whatever, and you're sure, you see, ah, that's got to be, that's got to be a gobbler, you're going to wait a minute, you've identified him once, let it go for a few seconds, make sure, make sure you're really seeing what you are seeing out there, is that really a turkey? If you positively identify that turkey two times, there's never going to be an accident, and that's huge, we don't want to see that kind of stuff, the exciting sport, the way it is, it causes us to sometimes do and see things that we normally aren't there, and that pressure of thinking that we have to kill a turkey every year, or our buddies are going to think less of us, that's huge how that plays on. That's something I, I mean, I could talk on and on about how, how really crazy that is. You know, we're out there for the experience, the learning experience, the experience of just the, the enjoyment of being with a wild turkey. That's what it's all about. And as I leave you right now, one thing that Bob Potash told me years ago, never say never with a wild turkey. That's one thing he said. He said, remember, Galvis? He said, never forget this. When you're dealing with a wild turkey, never say never. And I've carried that through to this day. Thank you very much. I hope I didn't bore you at all. I hope maybe we've covered some things that were really, you know, hopefully my opinions and some of my experiences will help you in this season coming up. And I wish all of you a really good season and good luck to you and be careful out there. Thank you very much.